Hey everyone, this is Mansfield. Before we start, I just wanted to mention that we recorded this episode a few weeks back, and one of the topics we discussed during the recommendations segment is the music of composer Angelo Badalamenti. Unfortunately, Mr. Badalamenti passed away on December 11th, just a few days after we completed this recording session. Derek and I are both huge fans of his work, especially his numerous collaborations with David Lynch, as well as Jean-Pierre Genet, Paul Schrader, Jane Campion, and Danny Boyle. Battlementi's contributions to film have shaped the way music is utilized in narrative, and his work will continue to gift us with some of the most profound emotional experiences of our creative lives. Instead of our usual closing music, I'm going to end this episode with one of my favorite tracks from the Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me score, so stick around to enjoy that as we reflect on the work of one of cinema's best composers. Oh man, Aaron, uh, we're we're finally here. It's our Christmas episode. What have you been up to, man? Like like, how are you preparing for the holidays? Not much, man. We're trying to figure out what to do with the dogs and whether or not we go back home. I don't. Hold on a second. Somebody's at the door. Is that the Gremlin Carolers again? Uh, probably so. I don't know. That seems to happen every year. Hold on. It's just it's some woman outside the door. I don't know who this is. Um, who who are you? Who is this? Let. Me. In. Uh. You shouldn't have done that. It fucking hurts! Oh shit, he has a chainsaw run! Hell yeah. That was perfect. (laughs) That Jesus Christ. Hell yeah. All right, cool. Well, welcome to another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by me, your movie monster boy, Aaron, and by cravenly co-host Derek, in which we dissect the fears, phobias, and social relevancy of horror movies across all ages and subgenres, as well as discuss just how scary they are for horror newbies and horror junkies alike. This is going to be an extra special Christmas extravaganza. We just have banger after banger. We, we did take a detour a dead end, but we, we've been having banger episodes lately, so Hell yeah. this is another one. On this episode, we have got Katie O'Hagan, voice actor actress from the recent Resident Evil games, as well as several TV shows, short films. We are going to be discussing the Scottish horror musical comedy, Anna and the Apocalypse from 2017. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Yeah, welcome. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. This is a weird dream come true for me because I have been a fan of the Resident Evil series since I was in high school, maybe. Ah, the beginning. Yeah, I played through like all the PlayStation ones. Sadly enough, though, even though I'm the Resident Evil like mega fan, I have not played Village yet. And Aaron has <gasps> already beaten it like twice, I think. I'm the opposite. I have never played a Resident Evil game. <laughs> and then I played seven and eight and just all right. Now I'm, I'm fully in. I love it. Now 
now you're in. He's the new class. <laughs> but I have to say, I, I'm going to blow some smoke. I have to say, out of all the Resident Evil games, my favorite, especially opening scene, is everything involving your character and her being possessed and that reveal. <laughs> I can hear her. I can feel her clawing her way back inside of me. Get out! Leave me alone! I've been bad. I deserve this. It's okay. It's okay. It's me. I know you didn't mean to hurt me. Not only is it, I would argue, the scariest moment in any of the Resident Evil games, but one of the scariest moments in any of the horror video games. I'm a big horror video game fan. Nice. Uh, yeah, that whole scene where you like crawl up the stairs, you attack <laughs> him like three different times, you die, but then you're not dead. Yeah. Yeah, it was all amazing. That was definitely a lot of fun because we, uh, I got to do all that stuff, which is so cool That's when you're awesome. doing the motion capture and the voice. So all those little pieces of that scene from crawling up the stairs on the stage, we actually had a set of stairs. So I'm crawling on them and then on the ground doing stuff. And then even that scene where after I've been knocked out and I'm lying down and Ethan starts to come close and then I flip up again and grab him and throw him. Like I actually did that. So I was on the ground and I had help to be able to like flip up like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I have a little <laughs> gymnastics background so I was like able to bend enough where I just needed that little lift because I was like let's try this this will be freaky so being able to do all those and I finally just got to play seven in VR oh like, I shit. just okay. finished yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, about a year ago I learned about Twitch and I started a page so I stream now on Twitch and I just finished RE7 in VR I apologize to everyone because now I understand how scary it was <laughs> what everybody was saying about how freaky it is when she just keeps coming at you and she's possessed and I finally got to witness it on the other side. I scared the crap out of myself and I knew it was coming. Yeah. Like, I remember shooting the scenes still scared the crap out of myself. <laughs> I am not into VR. I don't have a VR setup. That is one of the very few games that I've heard people say 100% it will change your entire so perspective scary. on VR. But I have seen people play it and it is kind of hilarious. And during that scene that you just mentioned, I've seen people actively yeah. backing up, trying to move out of the way and <laughs> just can't get away from you. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I ever played it, I was so unprepared that I through my remote. <laughs> I had it in my hand and I freaked out and just threw it. And then I didn't have anything to control. So then I like scrouched down on the ground and I literally was saying, stop hitting me, stop hitting me. Like I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I, I kind of imagine that scene because like one of the scariest moments in that game is when you're in um, Miss Baker's part of the house and like she has the bugs attacking you everything. Oh my God. When you, so come, when you go up those stairs and she jump scares you from around the corner and throws oh, you down like Lord. the pit. That like huge pit thing. Yes. Yeah, that whole scene would have, I, I couldn't handle that in VR. No way. Yeah, if you go on to my Instagram, I've been like doing little clips of me playing the VR and I've putting, been putting them on my Instagram. That scene, I actually have a clip of because of how oh, yeah. I reacted to uh. it. <laughs> there were many screams, lots of swearing. I have to like put it on mature because... <laughs> I'm constantly swearing and apologizing to my parents. <laughs> I'm just like, ah, 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I have such a potty mouth, but it's so scary. It really so is. So scary. And in, in VR, it is just so in your face. And as much as you try to back up, it's just there. It's there. There's no getting away from it. It's just there. <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned because I'm going to have to go look for that clip because I saw someone on Twitter clip Stephanie Panicello who plays Claire Redfield yep. and remake. she's been playing through Village, I guess, on her Twitch and she's not doing VR. She's just doing regular and she got to that scene and she was just like, uh, Miss Baker, like this part of the game, it's not too scary. And then that scene happens. She's like, I'm sorry. I talked yep. a lot of shit. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> Capcom does such a good job when it comes to horror games because they're like, you know, you're going to be scared. They give you bits of it and then it slows down. So you're like, OK, I can breathe. They already did all the big scares. They're not going to keep doing that. And so you get this whole chunk where you're just going around, finding things, looking for things, getting to the next level. And then the moment you take that breath where you think, OK, where do I go from here? What do I need to do? Somebody jumps in your face and like bugs come out of their lower half. And <laughs> <laughs> or a demon little girl grabs you and laughs in your face. or Yeah, yeah, yeah. and says she wants her to be your mommy. Like, what? what? You were that whole section of the game. Like, there's a part in Resident Evil 7 where you stop playing as Ethan, you play as your character. Yeah. It shows that whole lead up of like the ship crashing in the bayou. Yeah. And that part's great. And that's where you really get fucked with by Evelyn. Because you're getting all the flashbacks. And it's, yeah. And the stupid flashbacks appear out of nowhere. You're just like going along in the ship, like, okay, I got to get to the next. Where's Ethan? I got to find this. I got to go up this level, shoot the mold monsters. And then all of a sudden, there's the flash and it's creepy little girl screaming at you and then you have scary guys and then this alarms are going like there's so much happening all at the same time yeah, yeah. awesome we have i am certainly a big convert to these new resident evil games like i said i had not played any of the titles beforehand but i definitely loved seven and loved eight a lot yeah tell us a little bit about how you got started in voice acting because i see you have also done tv stuff you've done some shorts you've actually done makeup even yeah <laughs> tell me a little bit about how you got started in the industry and voice acting specifically and what kind of drew you to that yeah i mean it's really interesting i started acting with theater like as a kid okay. you know i started out on the stage through school stuff and then community theater and then through college just kind of kept going once i was in college I uh, started working for a little theme park and I started doing live action stunt shows. So it was kind of like taking what I do in theater and now bringing it out the next step, like, okay, in front of stunts, live action audience. And then from there, I want to say that's when I did my first commercial. They were basically shooting a little commercial for it. They let me be a part of it. Okay. And then I was like, okay, I want to keep this going. I thought I just wanted to do theater and then I got a chance to audition for a feature film and then that was really cool and I was like okay maybe that aspect I want to look into more so I started veering I started going very theater into like okay film now film and television then I decided to come out to LA <laughs> yeah and it was like every little step just kept building a little bit more and I've always loved Disney and my dream was always you know I would love to be a voice on a Disney cartoon or something like that but I never really knew how to get involved in that I have agents but it's such a different side of the industry and so randomly I want to say it was in 2014 I saw a casting call online for a video game they basically were looking for someone who could play like possessed demonic and with all my theater experience I always did characters sure 
Because I was like, oh, I love doing the crazy stuff. <laughs> Anytime I go out for things acting wise, somebody would look at me and just be like, oh, she's the princess. Oh, she's the pretty thing. So I'd very much have to fight and ask them to let me audition for the crazy shit. Yeah. So I remember in a children's theater production, they had Jack and the Beanstalk and they wanted me to audition to be the pretty harp. And I looked at him and I was like, okay, I will for you guys, but just hear me out. Can I audition for the troll? And they were like, (laughs) wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The giant sidekick was this creepy little troll. And I was like, just let me do it. See what you think. And so they did. And I ended up getting cast as that. And I was like, see, I can do the crazy shit. Like, that's what I want (laughs) to do. So I kind of pulled that in. And even on this side, once I came out to LA and started auditioning, it was like I would look for those things. Anytime I would get auditions, I would actually do my makeup a little bit to be that little bit creepier. So like any zombie things, I do some sort of makeup to look like that. So for this, they wanted a possessed crazy. And I was like, I can do that voice because I thought it was just going to be voice. And then I get to the audition and it was like, okay, it's mocap and voice. So I was like, all right, I get on the stage. A- didn't know what it was for. It was just a video game. No idea that it was Resident Evil, like nothing like that. I just thought it was a cool new experience. I've never done voiceover. I've never done motion capture, none of this stuff. So I get on the stage and the director's there and he's like, all right, so basically imagine you're like in a haunted house, like a dark room. I'm going to be in this corner. You start on the opposite end, do whatever you think would scare me. Like if it's a black room, I'm just sitting here with my back to you. What would you do? So the next thing you know, I'm like crawling on the ground. I'm making all these creepy ass noises, (laughs) slowly getting closer and closer and closer to him. So that was kind of my first foray. And they had me do a couple other things, but it got to the point. I so much so didn't know what I was doing. I showed up looking cute. I had like a nice outfit on. I had cute little boot heels on. Like I had to take shit off. I was barefoot because I'm like, I can't move in what I'm wearing. (laughs) right now so i was like oh now i know like when i get motion capture video game auditions i'm showing up in like yoga pants and (laughs) (laughs) it's a very different kind of audition than what i was used to and so from there they basically told me they're like okay so this character she goes back and forth between being normal and possessed so we're probably gonna have two different actresses but we'll let you know and then i got a call that night and they're like we'd like you to come back to audition for the normal version All right. So I did the normal version. And then they wanted to see normal into crazy. And then ultimately I got it. So it was just total luck of the draw. Getting this particular job, which has led into so many others, especially with voiceover. This one was more, it was just me doing it. It's not like I was in the right place at the right time. It's that I was submitting myself because I didn't have agents yet to do it for me. So I was just every day online on LA Casting, Actors Access, like these websites that are specific for casting calls and just submitting myself for them. When one came up that I fit enough, I was like, you know what, let's just do it. I'm going to submit. We'll see what happens. So that's my biggest thing, like for anybody getting into this industry or who's like, how do I do it? There's a thousand different ways that you can get your foot in the door. You can take classes, you can, you know, network, you can meet people. The biggest thing is being ready when it comes along. Yeah, Having that training where I went into that room and 
if I wasn't comfortable in my theater background where I was so used to just go, like they tell you to do something and you're just in front of people and you just do it. Like if I didn't have that confidence or a little bit of that training, I would have froze. Yeah. You've got to be able yeah. to like improv and you've got to yeah. be able to like yeah. do things on, you know, the edge of your toes and everything. Yeah. And that's, that's what I've heard about voice acting too. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think, oh, you're doing voice work. So it's, it's just going to be like sports radio or NPR where you're, no. you're you just got to have that smooth voice and you've got to sit there and just be really personality free <laughs> in front of a microphone. 104.7 smooth jazz. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but every time that I see performers actually doing voice acting, mm -hmm. it's physical and they're into yeah. it and there's movement and it, it is just as much acting like you normally would on stage Very. or in front of the camera and, and yeah. it's not just the vocal projection part of it. I'm sure you guys have seen like the videos from when uh Robin Williams with Aladdin like when oh, he yeah. went in oh, yeah, the genie yeah, yeah. like he is all over the recording room yeah it's it's very physical and that's just it like being comfortable and I even say I would love if I did more voice acting got into that it is incredibly difficult with all the different acting that I have done I'd say voice acting is the most difficult out of everything that like I've tried and done interesting because it is usually you by yourself in a room. That was another question I had was, it depends on the project, obviously, mm -hmm. but I have always kind of heard you are either there with your other castmates and everybody is kind of all working together mm -hmm. or you are completely by yourself. You know, that's right. what I was wondering with the two Resident Evil games that you've done specifically, were you there with the rest of the cast working together or was it just you and that was it? So what was cool with my experience with Resident and evil. Now, this is very different for all different games. Many games, you might have five different actors creating one character. Sure. I've yeah. heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not how it was with Resident Evil, which is really cool because my first experience, I got to do so much more, which isn't always the case. So with Resident Evil, I did the motion capture. I did the facial capture. So all the expressions, you know, the facial movements are mine. I did the voice. Oh, wow. So okay. those three things I did. Now, another person, another woman, was the actual physical model. So way before I came into the picture, they chose a model, scanned her, she was Mia. And then I did all this other stuff. But then on top of it, they're going to have specific stunt people. So I do a lot of movements. I do certain things, but sometimes they want bigger stunts. They'll bring in stunt people. Then they also have navigations when it comes to motion capture, basically in-game navs. So every time a character turns, gets hit, bends down, like every tiny little little movement they do usually there's an actor who is hired specifically just to do nabs huh. i didn't know that wow yeah so they go in and you're talking hundreds of nabs to create this full game like imagine any of the metal gear solid Call of Duty, every little movement with a gun, an actor yeah. who specifically did those naps. So it's like getting down on one knee and reloading. Okay, now you're getting down on one knee, you're reloading, but it's got to be really fast. Okay, now you're doing it while under fire. So it's like <laughs> every little thing somebody had to create. And a lot of wow. times it's not the performance actor who's doing that. They hire somebody else to come and do that. So I didn't know of this world, how many different pieces have to come together on that side of it, and then you have the animators. Yeah. The, the world opened up to me when I found motion captured video games. So with Resident Evil, we actually were all hired to do the motion capture and voice. So a lot of what you see was done on the stage. 
So unlike something with voiceover where you're just in the room recording it, we actually were shooting all those scenes and actually saying the lines and going through those scenes on the stage. And it was all recorded then. And then if there were issues or if something didn't pick up or if maybe there was a fight scene. So like while the lines were said, you're hearing banging noises. Then after the fact, we'd go into ADR and that was by ourselves. So we would have days where they'd let me know, okay, we need you to come in and do ADR and they'd show me the scenes that I had to like clean up. But then on top of it, you have all the efforts. So sometimes after the fact, I'm going into the booth and they're like, okay, we have a hundred efforts for you today as regular Mia and as crazy Mia. Hmm. So every time she's jumping over a wall, jumping down from something, climbing, getting punched, grabbing something, screaming, running, like all those things are efforts that the actor had to go in and recreate so that they can piece it into the different scenes. That's super interesting too, because looking at your CV, I was like, okay, voice acting. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that you did the actual performance capture for that game, mm-hmm. because in my head, just with what I know, most of the time that is done by somebody completely separate. Yeah. So I guess that even further reinforces the next question I was going to ask, which was how uncanny was it for you when you first played the game? <laughs> yeah, that's that's always something and I've wondered. Not just yeah. your voice, but then your <laughs> performance, but then not you and not just you in the sense that it was a different actress because that's one thing you're going Mm -hmm. from like a person to a person obviously in resident evil like half the characters you're going from a person to a like giant eight foot tall vampire lady (laughs) right so it's one thing when you're going from that to that but how Mm -hmm. uncanny was it for you playing it for the first time and you're seeing your entire performance coming out but it's not you the trippiest part for me was seeing my my quirks, like my yeah. physical, like how I move my face, little ticks I have in my body on another woman. Yeah. Hearing my voice, seeing all my ticks and movements, but it's a face of someone else. Yeah. <laughs> that really threw me the first time I saw it. It was very like, oh, this is so weird. Yeah. That's what I do. Also, I realized the ticks that I have and the quirks that I have because everything is being picked up. So I learned a lot about myself physically by doing the actual performance capture and motion capture um, because I would do things and later like the director or somebody would be like, do you realize you do this? And I was like, nope, <laughs> nope. Good to know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I was kind of thrown in the deep end with seven, which then when Village came around, it was kind of nice because I went in being like, oh, I have a little more knowledge. I'm not completely clueless when it comes to motion capture now. <laughs> so it was it was nice not being the new kid on the block with that one. Yeah. But still, what's so great about motion capture is to me, it's a little bit closer to theater because you have to use your imagination so yeah. much more. I mean, you're you're on a set. And like you said, in Village, you have Maggie who played Lady D. So she's like a 10 foot tall vampire. I unfortunately didn't get to work with a lot of the other actors on Village because Mia was in smaller pockets throughout it. So I worked a lot more with actors in Seven. But it's funny to see, you know, you had to pretend she really was that tall. So as an actor, like, yeah, she might only be a few inches taller than me, but your eye line has to make sure to be way up there. So Todd, who played Ethan, he's always having to make sure to be staring 
at a 10 foot tall person, even though Maggie's only like eye level with him. So (laughs) it's learning those things and being like, okay. Or, you know, you have Paula who played Angie, the creepy doll. Paula is like five, two or five, one. And the doll is supposed to be this big running around and hopping and being all creepy. So it's, (laughs) you really get to use your imagination so much more along with it, but you're trying to get your performance along with remembering, okay, how tall is this person? Who is that person? How far away do I need? to stand if this person is actually this big or this tall or if they're sitting in a cart full of things I get to buy later. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much involved that you just kind of forget about until you're there and you're like, oh, okay, more goes in. (laughs) For these games, are you actually in the full ping pong ball suits all the like gear on your face and the dots on your face and like how how deep is the video game side of it i mostly am aware of this from cinema the film yeah. side of it so I'm, I'm the video game side of it is all totally new to me Derek probably knows a lot of this stuff yeah there's yeah. some really great behind the scenes footage of village that you can watch to kind of see what everybody was in and what they had to wear and use but yeah it's somewhat different from what they wear in movies okay. because a lot of times with the movies it's linked up to like the reality or they're using green screens So with video games, and now, granted, I don't know if all of them work this way, just the ones I worked on, you're on the sound stage or you're on the motion capture stage and you just have these infrared cameras, hundreds of them. And then you basically are in a Velcro... bodysuit, yeah. <laughs> which again, you just have to throw like any self-conscious shit out of your head the yeah. moment they hand you this thing. You're about to put on like a onesie that is skin tight, full of Velcro, and then people are just going all over your body, sticking these markers. And yep. they're pretty small, probably only like that big. So it's not like a huge ping pong ball, just tiny little markers. And they're going all over your body, specifically like with joints and movement, because when it links up to the animation side, the first time I ever saw it, it looked like a um, stick figure. Hmm. And so like I'm on stage and I'm seeing this stick figure and I'm going like this and the stick figure's moving and you're just like, Ooh, you can't help but like want to do silly stuff yeah. the first time you do see the robot. It. Yeah. 100%. Before they yell action, you're just sitting there like... like it's the best feeling (laughs) intergalactic bc boys music video yeah Yeah, it's pretty cool so you have your whole body covered and then on top of it i actually have had two different ways so in seven half of filming i had my entire face was mapped out in little little tiny dots which was really trippy so i had to be glued on And then from there, it went into an actual helmet with a camera. So kind of what you see in Avatar, a lot of those behind the scenes. And then in Village, it was just the helmet with the camera. I mean, I started doing this in 2014. And since then, the difference each time I go in, the new technology is just incredible. Like, it's really amazing. I mean, the first time I had the helmet with the camera on, they still had to draw markers all over my face to things up. And the next time it was, okay, we don't need markers. It's this type of camera. And then the next time it was just plop the camera on, good to go. And it's like, oh, this is getting easier and easier each time. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun because I I do watch a lot of the behind the scenes stuff or like more of the cinematic video games. Yeah. Um, like I watched a lot of The Last of Us, Last of Us Part 2's 
behind the so scenes. So you can see, yeah, how yeah. that stuff works. And yeah. Aaron, it is, there are a lot of similarities to film. And then, mm-hmm. but like you were saying, Katie, less green screen than you would think. It's more just like a stage. Mm-hmm. The animators usually like have already created the world. Yeah. And it's just the physical people that they're popping us into. And because like, at least with Resident Evil, they had already created a lot of stuff. So when we were doing the scene, they'd pop up the world and it was like, okay, over here is the bed. Over here is the couch. Yeah. And you're having apple boxes and you're having things there. So we knew, you have a reference. okay, can't go there. It's a wall. Can't do this because that, okay, got to go this way. So that was interesting. And that's, again, where the using your imagination comes to play. I remember the first time I was ever told to like push open a gate. It was like, okay, this is the wrought iron gate you're going to push open. The first time I did it, like I'm doing all this stuff and I get to it and I push it open. The director yells cut and he's like, Mia's really strong, isn't she? Because it's supposed <laughs> to be like this massive wrought iron gate. But when I got there, it was like a little tennis ball and some PVC piping. So I was like, wee! Like, oh, <laughs> right. Acting. Have to act like it's heavy and difficult to push over. So it's those little things you kind of forget. And then you're like, okay, let's backtrack. Let's do it again. <laughs> Two of the funniest moments I saw behind the scenes for the Resident Evil, the recent Resident Evil games are, mm-hmm. and I think you were somewhere in it. It was everyone at lunch break and everyone's just at their tables eating because it was still COVID. So like everyone was uh, distances away, but y'all were all on your suits. Well, that I think that was just posted. And that's actually, that was a Resident Evil. It's a lot of the same actors, but it's uh, Midnight Sun just came out. That's what oh, it is. Okay, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah that's, I saw that like a a week ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd say like half of the Resident Evil actors happened to be in that also. <laughs> That's what I saw, yeah. But then the other thing I saw was actually with Maggie with Lady D. Mm-hmm. Aaron, you know that part where she's smoking like the long oh, yeah. cigarette thing? She couldn't actually smoke it, like bring it to her face, so she had to hold it out from her face. Sure. And pretend. So yeah, so she's pretending like with it all the way out here with her arms stretched out. So it's not running into the camera. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. the camera is on an arm, so it's yeah. Yeah. a certain distance away from you and so you have to remember the camera's doing everything for your face so you can't put a hand in front of the camera so anything with hands has to make sure it's like over here yeah Yeah. and it's these little things that if you're not used to it takes you a hot minute to be like right okay this is how i have to do this this is how i have to do this so yeah it took some getting used to for sure and to be a little bit snobbish i do have to say the best games to me are the ones that condense the actors to pretty much one person doing the mocap and and voice because you can kind of tell now in a lot of between like games on like which games use multiple actors for one character and which yeah. games try to condense it to like just a model and just an actor yeah and that's it the resident evil is good about that god of war more recently the last mm-hmm. of us games whoever is doing the mocap is usually doing the voice as well i feel like it's going that route more and yeah. more it feels like but you still will get auditions just voice Which is so interesting because to me, I feel like the reason Resident Evil was like, at least on my half, like it was so good. Part of me goes, if I was only doing the voice, I don't know if I would have been cast because it was the physicality and the voice as one. The physicality is what brought the voice to that level. If I was just in a room or if I just had to like at home record myself saying these lines, I don't know if the voice alone would have gotten me the job. I think it was having that meld of both them seeing 
okay, look at this girl walk in. And then all of a sudden I'm growling and I have these like zombie noises and I'm screaming go at this guttural level, you know? And I think it was all of it together yeah. is what helped me personally. And that's why I say voice acting so hard because people who do get those jobs just off their voice to me, I am so impressed with. Like, it's so cool and so impressive because it is really difficult. You got to have something pops where somebody's only listening. That's yeah, it. Yeah. There's no visual. There's there's no reference. It is literally just your voice. And that is it. And how do you make it pop? How do you make it stand out? So to me, I'm always impressed with voice actors. Yeah. Absolutely. Before we move on to uh, recommendations, one last quick thing I wanted to ask you. Mm -hmm. Have you always been a fan of horror in general, like growing up and into <laughs> adulthood and everything? Like, Yeah. So I grew up in a family where like Halloween is top tier, like the most epic thing. Hell yeah. I'm one of six kids. So it was all about creating things. So my parents yeah. would make all of our costumes. We would do stuff. That's awesome. The decorations were so epic every year and it would get bigger and bigger to the point of for a long period of time, our house was known as the haunted porch house <laughs> because to get to the front door to get the candy, you had to go through the haunted porch. Literally my parents, well, my parents and siblings, we created this massive scary porch. And I guess like a year or two ago, because now all the kids are like married and moved away and mom and dad are retired. And my mom said she overheard a little kid like probably last year or two years ago. They were like, I remember this house with a haunted porch. And she overheard the dad being like, oh, they must have moved. And my mom said it like crushed her a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up with that. But at the same time, we weren't allowed to watch R-rated movies. PG-13 was like all that was allowed for a really, really long time. So it was kind of like any time I got to go to a friend's house and watch an R-rated movie or a scary movie, it was really exciting. Or something was on TV, it was kind of like, ooh, here we go. So I loved being scared. They terrified me. Horror movies terrified me. But like, I couldn't help it. I loved it to the point. I remember accidentally watching Chucky when I was way too young. That's the first <laughs> one I remember, like watched it when I was way too young. And I was so terrified that I used to have all of my stuffed animals and dolls. And I would literally have half of them in my bed. The other half were in the closet. And the ones in the closet, I would apologize to and tell them that tomorrow they'd be in the bed. And I'd rotate them because I didn't want any of them to kill me in my sleep. <laughs> but I still love these movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm also from Crystal Lake, so it's kind of like... Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's always been ingrained in me just a little bit. And then as I got older, it just became more and more like always searching for something that's going to scare me. Because I feel like a lot of horror movies disappoint me. They seem scary. They're doing okay. And by the end, I'm like, really? That's where we went with it again. <laughs> like, it's kind of a letdown. So when you can find, I'm always looking for like recommendations of good scary movies. When it comes to October, it's like every day I want a scary movie. And a lot of them are the same. Got to go with the classics. But to me, the only ones that scare me were the 80s classics. They're so ridiculously cheesy, but the concepts still to this day scare me. Freddy, he gets you in your dreams. You can't fight that. Jason just won't freaking die. Like, he just keeps yeah. coming back. Like, those ones I love. The realistic ones don't scare me as much because I'm like, no, I can fight you. I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way as you. Yeah. Arguably, the scariest movie we've covered, if you ask just people, is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was actually our yes. first episode. <gasps> but that one doesn't fuck me up nearly as bad as any ghost movie yeah. or something like that because I can fight back. I mean, granted, I'd probably die still, but I can at least fight back. There are people. I might last a little longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned Chucky because Child's Play 2 fucked me up as a kid. So 
to the same thing where I had to hide my toys and I was like an eight year old. I caught on TV and I yeah. shouldn't have watched it. And that's just it. <laughs> like they used to play Chucky just on yeah. TV because that's Sci-fi. how I accidentally saw yeah. it. 100%. It was just on TV and it's like, yep. oh, it's a doll. Oh, it's a doll that seems really, nope, nope, not nice. Murdering people, killing people, lots of blood. Like it just kept going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember watching Child's Play 2 on Sci Fi and it was the edited TV version and they still show that fucking scene where the guy gets the eyeballs punched into his face and then he's like swinging around like his dead body is swinging around and that scarred me as a kid fucked me up so bad i'd say between child's play and it's not gremlins i think it was called ghouls Ghouls. they were like these ghoulies ghoulies yeah in the toilet the the little guys in the toilet i was afraid of the toilet for so long Hell yeah. You were afraid at least until they all went to college and then you were like, okay, well, they've got, <laughs> no, they've got no, degrees now, so I can I can trust them. Wait, is Ghoulies 3 the one where they went to college? It's Ghoulies 3, it's Ghoulies 4. I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> I never went past one. <laughs> I was done at one. <laughs> probably, probably for a good reason, yeah. Yeah. I have a quick question. I guess an ad. Don't have to put this in the episode necessarily, but you mentioned that uh, you were in Midnight Suns. Who do you no, play in Midnight Suns? I Sun? wasn't. Okay, okay, okay. A lot of uh, similar actors. The, okay, the video that he was talking about. Okay, I, I thought he was saying it was a video with you in it. Okay. I thought it was. It was just a yeah. lot of like Resident Evil alumni. It was alumni a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah I, gosh, I want to say four or five Resident Evil Village actors also are in Midnight Suns. Gotcha. And I understand, like, if you're just watching it going like, oh, this must be from Resident Evil, because it was like one after the other, like, oh, I recognize them. I recognize yeah. them. I recognize them. Yeah, I really thought it because like I'd, I'd just seen a chunk of clips of behind the scenes for Village. Yes. And recently, yeah. and I just assumed it was part of that batch. Yeah. Yeah. So that one. Yeah. Because that just came out. So they've just been like posting things about it because I saw it. And I was like, oh, wait, yay. I know them. I know them. <laughs> Like, it's always fun to see things pop up and you're like, oh, fuck. Because that's the thing. All of these games are NDAs. So until they come out, you'll know a friend is working on something. You won't know what. And then all of a sudden it comes out and you're like, oh, that's what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I always have friends like, what are you working on? And I'm like can't say you'll see someday (laughs) that's wild with video games too because tv and film productions take a while Mm -hmm. i know video games are like two to three times as long sometimes yeah i heard you second ago mention in 2014 Mm -hmm. for a game that came out in 2017 i mean that's That's wild to me. Yeah. So I first auditioned in late 2014. We shot, I think it was January of 2015 is when we first started. And so for two years on and off, I worked on RE7. Because Capcom's in Japan, the director was from New York, most of the actors in LA. So it was kind of like, you'd be told, okay, in this month, we're going to need your availability because we're going to need you. Maybe it would be one day of shooting. Maybe it would be three weeks of shooting. You just kind of didn't know until things came up. And it was like, okay, okay, here we go. And then it'd be done. And then the next month it was, okay, they're coming back for ADR sessions. So then you'd go into the booth and do stuff for that. So it was, yeah, on and off for two years of very few people knowing what I was doing. And- Quite frankly, I didn't know what I was doing until a year into it. So I didn't know I was working on Resident Evil. I worked a whole year on it. And all of a sudden we were doing a table, like we were starting up again and doing a table read for some new scenes. And somebody mentioned 
umbrella corporation. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> and like everybody at the table was kind of like, why does that sound familiar? Huh? I wonder what that is. And then when we finished the table read, one of the producers came out and just set NDAs nope. everywhere. <laughs> and you're like, okay, yeah. this is a much bigger thing I'm doing than I thought I was doing. <laughs> That's wild. So that was pretty trippy. Um, but it was exciting during Village because I was one of a few people who actually knew that Village was Resident Evil. So because it was like me and Ethan were the only two characters to like return from Seven. A few of the other actors returned, but in, as different characters. Yeah. So there was like a handful of us that knew what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> Had a pretty good guest looking around the room yeah 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 it was like oh oh yay okay but still had to be all hush hush about it for two years <laughs> even when um the trailer first came out because the game didn't come out until may and the trailer came out in january i think and i remember reaching out being like hey the whole trailer is mia and ethan that's a big part of it so i was like oh can i post this and announce that i'm back and they were like no <laughs> not until the game's out and i'm like but i'm literally like in the trailer. Yeah, that's me. They're like, no, yeah. no. So I had to wait. And so when I announced it in May, all the RE fans were like, yeah, we know. <laughs> it's been on all the fan sites. Where have you been? <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, I wasn't allowed to say anything, but now I can. So yay, I'm back. <laughs> like, it was so weird. It was so weird. That's why It's a whole new game. It yeah. is all new. And that's kind of why, like, right now, I've kind of switched over and I'm doing more training on the physical side because I do want to do more motion capture. I do want to do more video games because I had so much fun doing it. To me, motion capture is basically like if theater and film had a baby, it's motion capture. Yeah. Because you're on the stage. Everything's got to be a little bit bigger because the cameras have to capture everything and the imagination is used. But at the same time, they are cameras. So you do have to be on as if you are on a film set. So it's like this perfect meld of both worlds is motion capture <laughs> and yeah. performance capture, which is a lot of fun. Like it's a lot of yeah. fun. So I've been training more and more on that side of stunt and creatures and weapons all to learn more about that to be able to continue on that route. Because yeah, awesome. the industry is just changing so much. <laughs> Well, thank you for going down that rabbit hole with us. It's always yeah. fascinating, especially like Aaron is usually a big behind the scenes geek for movies, but I think both of us are for video <laughs> games are interested in this. So thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. More and more, it's interesting to me. I've been paying attention to like behind the scenes film related stuff since I was yeah. a child. I remember watching the making of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, yeah, so cool. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting to me how like more and more and more movies have become more digital. I miss practical effects. Yeah. Yeah, in a lot of ways, yes. And now in the last couple of years, stagecraft has become such a big thing. Yeah. And video games have been becoming more sophisticated over the years. Yeah. And so you're starting to like really blur the lines between the two more and more and mm -hmm. more, I find. And, yeah. you know, games are becoming, you know, in air quotes, more cinematic. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's interesting to me coming from the film side of it, how the two are starting to blend more and more. And they're mm -hmm. both kind of learning from each other how to innovate and push things forward on both ends. It's interesting because more auditions for film and television, I'm finding where they're looking for somebody 
who's good at movement, yeah. who's good in that aspect, because a lot more, I mean, look at Avatar, like you're getting more and more films that are going the full motion capture route. Yeah. So it's cool to see that because it's like, oh, something I've started training in a couple years ago is now growing more and these two worlds are melding. So it's kind of nice to feel like I'm not behind <laughs> yeah. in that aspect, yeah. like I'm, I'm keeping up with it, which is really nice. Because it just it opens the world up. I mean, when I take classes, it's like, okay, today, you're like a 20 foot tall ogre go. (laughs) And it's fun to be able to learn like how to use your body, how to use the weight and the heaviness. So that if you were in the suit, everything about your movement is creating that character. And that's not a whatever pound woman walking. No, it looks like a 20 foot tall ogre about to like smash some little mice's heads in. So random. Who says this? It's like, yes, this is this is my life. This is my job. <laughs> and, and who who thought that? Uh, oh, you are now a tree in drama class would come into play later on. I know yeah. it's the best. <laughs> thought it was no good being the background tree. Now you're like, bring it. Yeah, it's like I'm perfect. I'm do perfect your best tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very nice. Hell yeah. All right, Aaron, do you want to take us into uh, recommendations? We'll fly through those. Yeah, let's bring up some stuff real quick. It's been a while since you and I have recorded, and I'm sure we've got a couple of things we can bring up at the very end of the year here. So yeah, any kind of other movies, books, TV shows, video games that we want to share with our audience that are horror related, this is the spot for it. So Katie, we'll start with you. Have you gotten into anything horror related lately (laughs) that you want to throw out? Kick it to one of us if you need. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, um, so I'm all about my true crime. I know we talked a little bit earlier. I love my true crime podcast. I love all my ghost podcasts. So that's a big thing for me. So there's been a couple of podcasts that I really like. There's one called Two Girls, One Ghost, which is like all <laughs> ghost story stuff, okay. which cracks me up. And I listen to a lot of Irish true crime and ghost podcasts, which are really, really fun. I love that kind of stuff. So that's like podcast route. I'm trying to think film and TV. I'm that person who just puts stuff on. Is that bad? Like, I'll just put random things on. Um, So I finally got to watch, I think it was called Shining Veil with Courtney Cox. Okay. I've heard of it. Yeah. So it was really dark. Really, really interesting. I do recommend it. It gets heavy at times like most do. But yeah, that one was really fun because it's a whole creepy, ghosty, is she insane? Is she not insane? Is the ghost trying to take over? Like, what is happening? So it was quite the mind fuck, which I really liked. (laughs) I have heard, too, that there are actually allusions and references to The Shining Mm. in this. Like, there are moments of her kind of sort of similarly dressed like Jack Nicholson, wandering around with an axe and bits and pieces of things like that. Like, I've heard that there are a lot of visual references to things that you've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely have that in there. I just remember starting it being like, I don't know what I'm getting into, but I want to keep going. That one, yeah. And I want to say... It was the beginning of this year that it came out, I think, because I think that's when I watched it. But that one I really, really liked. I feel like if you guys say some, I might be like, oh, yeah, I watched that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we can we could do that. We go back and forth as well. Let's go back and forth because now I'm trying to think. I'm like, hmm, what else? So one that actually just recently came out that I've heard a lot of people talking about that y'all might have heard of or at least seen that I was going to bring up was the menu. Welcome to Hawthorne. It'll be our pleasure to feed you. Tonight will be magical. Over the next few hours, you will ingest fat, salt, protein, 
and at times entire ecosystems. We're eating the ocean. We're eating the ocean. Are you crying? <laughs> it's just I find it all very moving. So it's okay that I'm not as into this as you are. Oh my god. You shouldn't be here tonight. You, my dear guests, are not the common man. Isn't that right? Is he gonna keep doing that? What happens inside this room is meaningless compared to what happens outside. We are but a frightened nanosecond. Nature is timeless. What the hell is going on? I love you all. We love you too, sir. Any questions? Is this bergamot I'm getting, chef? Yes, it is. Heather and I went and saw that a week or so ago. That has Nicholas Holt, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Ray Fiennes. It's written and directed by some of the guys who are behind Succession on HBO. So it has that biting satire and kind of that critical eye toward the 1%, but it's about the like peak awful restaurateur chef cult guy who has his crazy frou-frou restaurant i gotta see this now (laughs) i've seen the trailer and i want to see it because it looks amazing so i'm so intrigued okay (laughs) it lives up to the trailer because watching the trailer it's like all right this is either gonna be great or it's Mm -hmm. just gonna be the most forgettable blah thing but i'll tell you what my wife and i who are into food we cook we are definitely a little bit snobby about going out to eat and that kind of thing we don't don't always eat fruit free stuff. We love hole in the wall kind of places, but we love going to fancy places and then being like, uh, is this good or is this just fruit free? Like, where's the line here? Right. And that's very much what the movie is about is just kind of looking at all these people who are kind of the gatekeepers of taste. And, you know, this isn't real food because it doesn't do X, Y, Z. It's a lot of like that <laughs> weird, you know, what is food? What is art? What is creativity? Mm-hmm. What is life? like that kind of discussion juxtaposed against people who are like, I don't fucking know. It looks like a French fry. It tastes like a French fry. I sure like it's food. I don't care. (laughs) I'm like, give me a burger. You say that, hold that thought, and remember that when you go to watch the movie finally. But it's fucking hilarious, and just the way that it kind of skewers all that culture. John Leguizamo is in it playing a washed-up actor, and apparently he like bases his performance on Steven Seagal when they work together. Oh, which is that's fantastic. I really want to see that. But yeah, the entire cast is great. The writing is super sharp. It's a really well-made movie, but when it tips into horror, it's so fucking unnerving because it's equal parts the really intense, nervous, anxious moments where you're in a public setting and something is going bad and you're just kind of stuck there and you can't leave and you don't know what to do. Yeah, I want to see this. And just kind of spiral (laughs) out, right? And then it gets, oh shit. Shit, oh gross, something actually splattery kind of happens, you know? It's great. And seeing that with a crowd was so much fun. Oh, at just 
theater. hearing people's reactions behind us the entire time. That's mm-hmm. definitely like my top recommend for this okay. episode. It's a good horror movie for people who are not super into horror because it's going to push them just close enough to the edge where they can still manage. The trailer makes it seem pretty damn horror-y. It goes there from time <laughs> to time, yeah. Okay. It, it, but where I think it works is it is a good thriller satire. So it's kind of okay. right there in the middle of it's not a comedy, it's not horror, but it's a good mixture kind of where it settles in the middle in that way that's really hard to do. But again, it's the guys who are working on succession. So like that mm-hmm. all kind of makes sense. They've proven they can kind of pull off that really cringy anxiety. Oh my God, things are spiraling out of control, but then it's also still funny. Okay. I, I do love that we're seeing this new like trend of horror movies where it's like, what if it's always sun in Philadelphia? We actually saw the consequences. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. We're seeing more and more of those kind of horror movies and I kind of love it. It actually kind of, have you guys ever seen, now this movie came out a few years ago. It's definitely one along those lines called Ready or Not. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of in that vein of what is really happening. Like everything seems great over here and then it keeps shifting and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like what the fuck? Yeah. I loved that movie. Yeah. Like I thought it was so creative. It was so much fun. I was so with the heroine like the whole time. I was like, yes. What creative ways can we kill these fuckers? <laughs> yeah. I love that world and I love those characters a lot. And like yeah. you said, it's that fun of oh these people are so much crazier than we initially Uh thought we knew they were crazy we knew they were off we knew it was something and then it takes three more left turns from there by the end of the movie yeah yeah and now the people behind that movie are doing the new Scream movie so good on them yeah we covered a movie with uh, Samar Weaving called Mayhem that came out in 2017 okay that movie's a blast you would enjoy it I enjoyed seeing a lot of the other people pop in the movie like Andy McDowell out of nowhere in Ready or Not I was just like wait what (laughs) (laughs) well yeah the uh, other thing I'll mention real quick, and I won't talk about this long because Derek, you've already read this book, but uh, I picked up Night Shift, uh, which is Stephen King's first anthology yep. book. I love this one. Oh, yep. From uh, okay. 1978. And it was more just along the lines of, holy shit, really looking through that book, literally half the short stories in it have been turned into movies at this point. Yep. Um, and some of them I've read over the years just one off, but I didn't realize how many of them really had been adapted. So this is the book that contains... Children of the Corn. Oh, geez. Graveyard Shift. Quitters Inc. and The Ledge, which are both in Cat's Eye. Sometimes they come back. The Lawnmower Man, which hilariously has nothing to do with the Lawnmower nothing Man. Nothing to do with that. That yeah, always yeah, confused not. me. Yeah. Always confused me. Trucks, which was adapted <laughs> kind of half assedly into Maximum Overdrive a little bit. Gray Matter, which that's actually the first segment in the new Creep Show series that's on Shudder. Jerusalem's Lot, which that is adapted into a show called Chapel Wait that has been on Epics apparently for about to be two seasons. Didn't now. know that. Didn't yeah. Know that. With fucking Adrian Brody. That's one that totally flew under my radar. Wow. No idea. Yeah. The Mangler, which yeah. we're going to have to do like a commentary episode. We're going to do the Mangler, the Mangler eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but despite all that, the one that I really found the most disturbing was The Woman in the Room. I had no idea that Frank Darabont, Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, The Mist, Frank Darabont, he adapted this as a short film in 1984. It was like one of the first Dollar Baby scripts that Stephen King gave away. But that one, 
honestly was the most disturbing and got under my skin. And not because there was anything supernatural going on, but solely because it was about a guy watching his mother succumb to dementia. It's rough. And just how terrifying it is to watch someone that you love slowly waste away and lose their faculties and just drift away and just become this other thing. That's harsh. You know, yeah. and it's it's a lot of what makes your character from the Resident Evil games so effective, especially in 7, is just that whole flip of you're the person that I know, but you're not the person that I know. This yeah. is a totally different thing now. Like, what do I do with this? That entire idea, and that's how the book ended? Oh. Just like, holy shit, sledgehammer to the knees, when so much of the rest of the book is just kind of goofy with toy soldiers fighting and punk teenagers on beaches and stuff like that. Like, there are some goofy short stories in there, but the one that it ends with was just such, you know, a downer, but in kind of the best way. So, Aaron, I do realize it, I, I actually have not brought up Night Shift before. Um, I'm getting it mixed up with Skeleton Crew ah, was okay, the one okay, I brought okay. up. Yeah. Which that's next on my list. Yeah. I love his short stories. Stephen King's short stories are my favorite. Oh, they're great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do different seasons and then I might rewatch some of the movies that they did there as well. But Night Shift, I would definitely recommend just for how many of those short stories got adapted into movies. Yeah. Not necessarily the best Stephen King adaptations, <laughs> but still fun to at least go back and have as a reference to look at and just kind of see what other people spun those off into. Speaking of, because we were talking a little bit about The Shining and Stephen King, what do you think of Dr. Sleep? Love it. Aaron Absolutely. fucking loves it. Yeah. I <laughs> loved it. I, I've been trying to talk him into it. As much as he loves The Shining, he won't fucking watch it. I'm now waiting for us to cover it. That's why I haven't watched it yet. I'm sitting on it. It was so good. It was unexpected what they do with it. I was very impressed with the flashbacks, the actors yeah. they used. They did such a good job with it. Um, and you McGregor, he was phenomenal. And just seeing that side of Danny grown up and now yeah. how it's continuing. And I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Flanagan is crushing it, like in terms of horror. Yeah, I'm a big Flanagan acolyte. So <laughs> the more of his stuff that we cover, the happier I get. There you go. <laughs> we did Oculus and Oculus is still one of the scariest movies yeah. we've done on the show. I still am too much of a coward to watch The Haunting of Hill House. Like that shit looks it was terrifying. so good. Uh, that's what everyone tells you me, but tell it looks so fucking so terrifying. good. <laughs> yep. And Midnight Mass is also stellar. I haven't seen Midnight Mass yet. Like oh, it's, it's on good. it's on my little list of to watch. <laughs> It's good. Yeah. It's very, very good. It's very atmospheric. A lot of people are like, oh, God, there's so many monologues in it. But the monologues, like the writing is so good. I'm like, if it's good, it doesn't it's matter. so well acted. I like the it. The writing's good. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Monologue. I am hyped for his fall of the House of Usher miniseries that's coming out. Yeah. Okay. That's going to be interesting to see. This will be old news by the time this episode comes out. But he has jumped ship from Netflix and is now kind of free agent for movies, but working with Amazon for TV, but they just announced that he is actually going to be finally taking a crack at Dark Tower. And he's been talking about that for a while. Yeah. So I'll be yeah. curious to see. That'll be interesting. Because he's been very like, no, do it straight up. You don't have to reinterpret it. Just adapt the books as is like. as much as you okay. can and just go from there and it'll all make sense. So I'm, I'm very curious to see him do that considering he has been the guy who has cracked a lot of the supposedly like unfilmable stuff. 
Stephen King stuff and yeah. kind of gets on that vibe. So I'm very curious to see where that goes. That'll awesome. be cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, Derek, uh, that's all I've got. What have you got before we move on? I'm going to bring up three things. And given that this is a musical movie we're doing, two of them are music related, actually. Yay. Nice. The two music ones are ones that I've definitely brought up in the past where we've talked through Aaron, but like not specifically as like a recommendation necessarily. First thing I'll bring up is uh, I was having a dance party with my my daughter the other day and I put on our <laughs> Spotify playlist like of all our spooky tunes, but there's a lot of dance music in there. And uh, Oingo Boingo came on. And I was just like, you know what? We talked about Oingo Boingo a little bit with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and all that stuff. We have a couple of those tracks on our playlist. I want to actually sit down and listen to the Dead Man's Party album by Oingo Boingo. For those of you who don't know what Oingo Boingo is, they were a new wave band that Danny Elfman, yes, that Danny Elfman, that composer, was the front man to. They put out a lot of music through the 80s, actually. Like, what? Yeah, (laughs) I didn't know that either until like we actually talked about oingo boingo but yes danny fucking elfman was in a new wave band and they made a halloween themed album called dead man's party dead man's party is a fucking blast of an album it's their best album too arguably it came out in 1985 okay the song that everyone probably knows is weird science weird science yeah That's Oingo yep. Boingo. Yep. The voice that you have always heard your entire life on that song is Danny Elfman. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Famous composer Danny Elfman did Batman and Edward Scissorhands and Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before yep. Christmas. <laughs> yeah. He's the guy singing What's This? What's yep. This? Da, 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 da. Yeah. I hear Danny Elfman and that's what I immediately go to. Yep. Jack Skellington. Yep. Like, and, uh, yeah, Jack Skellington was in a New Way band. Yeah, the genre of this album, of course, is New Way, but there's actually ska and pop influence all over this <laughs> album, too. Just the cover itself is a homage to Day of the Dead, the Mexican holiday. Nice. It's a, just a bunch of skeletons that are like having a party. Death and Halloween and just celebration of horror is kind of all throughout this album. Surprisingly, some of the tracks are kind of more like New Wave, dark romantic. It's not all like party hype tracks. But then you have stuff like the title track, Dead Man party and no one lives forever which is forever now burned into my brain because of texas chainsaw massacre yeah. too <laughs> it's a jam I 
I would say those three specifically, Dead Man's Party, No No One Lives Forever, and Weird Science are must-haves on any Halloween party soundtrack. Nice. And they are all written by Danny Elfman, by the way, too. Crazy. And surprisingly, Aaron, fucking Dead Man's Party, the title track wasn't on our Spotify playlist, so I corrected that mistake. We already had Weird Science and No One Lives Forever on there, so I added Dead Man's Party. Oh, look, for whatever reason, it's the Christmas season, yet my wife is still going through like Halloween playlists while she's working. I'm yeah. doing the same thing. Christmas and Halloween are just, they're married. Yeah. Forever <laughs> married in my mind. So yeah, I, like I said, literally a couple days ago, we were having a dance party to our Halloween playlist. So very nice. And yeah, nice. my toddler did respond really well to uh, no one lives forever. So, but yeah, so like check out Oingo Boingo and like apparently a lot, most of her stuff is pretty solid. But yeah, if you want to hear Danny Elfman pre like exploding as a, a film composer, like this is a good place. Dude's body work is out of this world with everything. So speaking of composers, this is actually kind of three albums mixed into just one recommendation. It's the original Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, and then the 2017 Twin Peaks Revival. I listened to all three soundtracks of that. Katie, Aaron and I are big David Lynch and Twin Peaks like super fans. (laughs) Yes. And so I wanted to talk about those three soundtracks in general because they're all done by Angelo Badalamenti. He does all of the composition and putting together the soundtracks. He actually does a lot of work for David Lynch himself. He's worked on a few David Lynch projects. I loved all of these and it, it just made me want to go back and like rewatch through Twin Peaks again. They range from like ethereal dread to kind of sexy snap your fingers mysterious <laughs> and then all the way to like smooth jazz in certain parts like you'd hear in an empty coffee shop in the middle of like a rainstorm. With people randomly dancing and snapping their fingers. Snapping their fingers, yeah. If I had to say a genre for all three soundtracks, I would say it's ethereal dread with rainy day jazz, which I also <laughs> think sums up all of David Lynch has worked too in a way much yeah Yeah, this might be a hot take but out of the three soundtracks i actually think i like fire walk with me soundtrack the most and i actually think i like the twin peaks 2017 revival soundtrack both of them more than the original soundtrack well i think it's partly just because they are more refined recordings of the original stuff it's a lot of the themes that you kind of know but they are elevated and like tweaked and perfected just enough yeah that makes sense and there's also some like real banger add-ons to those as well too like the song that plays while they're in the pink room in fire walk with me is killer like there's there's so much good stuff on that one I was going to get to that. So my favorite track, I think, over Audrey's dance, over the theme from Twin Peaks, over the theme of love, Laura's theme. I think the Pink Room is the best track out of all the Twin Peaks tracks. The Pink Room is fucking groovy, dark, sexual, like <laughs> awesome. But like, there's some creepy shit also throughout these soundtracks, obviously, because it's Twin Peaks. I'm like, it's Twin Peaks. It, yeah. it has yeah. to be creepy. <laughs> yeah. So I added a few tracks to our Spotify playlist from all these albums. Ones that already weren't 
weren't on there because we already had a few of the tracks. The only thing that I complained about is fucking somehow Apple Music, Spotify, get that American Woman David Lynch remix that they used in the revival when like the doppelganger of Cooper shows back up. There's something that's region locking. Like, I don't know if it's a rights issue or something. Sure. Probably could be. Yeah. Like it's not available on Apple Music or Spotify. Like that cover of American Woman by the Muddy Magnolias where he slows it down 300 times is so haunting and good and chilling because it was so perfect for when doppelganger Dale Cooper shows up on the screen in 2017. Yeah, it just all this makes me want to revisit Twin Peaks. So here's a question for you. I've tried to watch Twin Peaks. It is definitely different. I can only do it in like sections. <laughs> I know people who are like hardcore. Awesome. I can't sit and watch and watch and watch because my head will explode. There's just so much crazy yeah, shit yeah. going on. The last recommendation I'll bring up 1984 movie. Katie, I don't know if you've seen this one or not. Uh, might be something to add to your list if you haven't. I watched Chud. C-H-U-D. Yeah. Okay. Beneath the city of New York are living catacombs, an endless maze of subterranean tunnels, unfit for anything human, unauthorized for anything experimental, Hold it! Stop moving up ahead at the top. and unlikely to bring anyone down there. So, they're coming up. Chud. Check your basement and your bathroom. Keep off the street and try to hide. But remember, the dark is their place. The night is their time. And tomorrow, the only things living in the city of New York will be Chud. Chud. Cannibalistic, humanoid, underground dwellers. Chud. They're not staying down there anymore. This sounds so familiar. <laughs> okay, keep going. <laughs> it stands for Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. It is a 1984 sci-fi horror movie directed by Douglas Cheek. It stars John Hurd, Daniel Stern, like the cast is the Home Alone Daniel Stern, and Christopher Curry. Oh, and then John Goodman shows up as a cop who like gets immediately killed off in like a <laughs> diner scene. That was also wild. Okay, I have to look this up because this is all sounding really familiar. <laughs> the premise behind it is that people are going missing around like a certain block of New York City. And this is 1980s New York City when it was truly like a dangerous place, very run down, trashes everywhere. People are disappearing when they go by manholes the homeless who live in the like underground subways and in the sewer systems they're starting to like disappear and get killed off and you know the movie poster itself gives away what's causing this as they go on you're finding out that it's these underground cannibalistic mole rat looking people that are like killing them off but you also kind of have like a zombie tendency because at one point a character who was bitten by one develops the features of one and attacks another character the creature design is great like I said it's like a cross between like a mole and a rat but they're humanoid so they're like tall humans and their eyes are like shining yellow like glowing yellow and then when one dies the yellow goes away and it's like a white eye 
and these humanoid monsters are slowly coming out of the sewers and killing people and like drag them down the sewer to kill them and all that movie opens with a woman walking her dog and her and the her and the dog are dragged down into a sewer like that's how it fucking begins amazing it wasn't well received (laughs) obviously when it first came out and it is a little bit of a mess of a movie but honestly i can see where it got the cult status i did not realize how much this movie like has influenced people who are like around our age group well not just people our age i mean it, i mentioned this a while back but literally jordan peele's us yes opens with a slow zoom in on a tv and there's a bunch of vhs tapes sitting beside the tv and one of the vhs tapes is chud <laughs> and if you've seen yeah. us you will fully understand like what the connection is there okay but yeah it's one of those weird movies that it's an interesting satire it is so because it is dealing with the homeless situation in new york and it's dealing with no one caring about the homeless societal inequality and all of that stuff just people's apathy for other people yeah it's got all the good social stuff that like really draws you into the movie and then there's like this weird monster angle kind of on the surface right like a b movie splatter part of this movie too just to give you an idea here are the references to this movie it's been referenced in the simpsons the cw flash clerks 2 archer futurama pushing daisies agents of shield rick and morty the soundtrack which is done by martin cooper which the soundtrack was actually pretty good it was on rolling stones 35 greatest horror soundtracks oh wow mr dig through the ditches and burn through the witches himself rob zombie has been rumored since 2007 on doing a remake to this uh movie i don't know if it's fallen through or what's going on with that uh i mean it even appeared in one of the tony hawk video games like back in 2003 i think one of the characters is based off of, of one of these creatures but going back to what you said aaron i went into this movie expecting like this is a comedy horror movie like it's gonna be gory it's gonna be transgressive there's gonna be a lot of nudity blah 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 80s yeah like 80s <laughs> horror like and there's a bit of that yeah but like it's serious like it's a lot more serious than yeah. expecting it to be like you said it's critiquing a lot of stuff the creatures are actually not really on the screen that much the movie has kind of a slow build to it almost maybe a little bit too slow of a build Mm. but when the creatures do show up they are pretty impactful like i'll give them that so one of the scenes in this movie this might be the best i'm pregnant reveal scene i've seen in any movie because like one of the main characters is this fashion photographer and his girlfriend is is a model and they're living together in like kind of run down apartment in new york city and so all, all that commentary of like 1980s new york is there and she reveals to him that I'm pregnant and the way they handle the scene is done better than any movie I've seen. But the thing that's really interesting is they begin the scene being like, do we want to keep the baby? Like, do we really want to bring a baby into like this New York city? That's so super dangerous. We can't raise a child here. I don't know if we can afford this baby. We're not ready to be parents, but like now that it's on the table, we're excited, but we're scared. And they have this whole conversation about like, are we going to seek abortion or adoption or are we going to keep the child? And like Aaron and I keep running into this, especially with, 70s and 80s horror Mm -hmm. these movies were really just totally fine with on screen openly addressing these issues and i found that fascinating well that's what's so interesting i feel like when you watch 70s and 80s horror it's so less censored yeah as we've gone on everything is so much more censored which is interesting because it's like certain things are totally fine let's have people chopping heads off and blood gushing out we're fine with that we're fine with the weapons we're fine with that but nudity women's rights abortion marriage 
language. Can we actually discuss these social things? Yeah. Social yeah. commentary is what's being restricted. They're like, visually, we'll let somebody be cut in half. Totally fine with that. But God forbid we talk about an unwanted pregnancy. Yeah. Like, it's incredible the switch that's happened in entertainment and who is doing it. You know, it's like, where is it coming from? Because yeah. you're seeing people trying to put things in there, but people are so afraid now. Everything's ruled by money and people are so afraid of if I push the boundaries, it won't be as well received. I won't make the money back or it might be a flop and then I'll never yeah. do anything again. I'll have trouble funding my next project. Yep. Yeah. Like people aren't willing to take the risks anymore. Yeah. Because everybody is so worried about the next project instead of worrying about the younger generation and the future of them and opening things up so when they do get to our level they're going to be able to do things everybody's still worried about themselves and okay my next project if i do this now i won't be i might not be able to do that and it's like well yeah. somebody's got to step up and go okay well i'm going to push the limit here so that this younger generation who's coming up through the ranks are going to be able to do these things without saying it's a limit that needs to be pushed because now it's the Norm. Aaron and I, since the beginning of the show, have made the argument that horror has always been political. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we make the argument yeah. that art has always been political. Oh, yeah. But like yeah. horror, especially like, I mean, just off the top of my head, the Omen openly addressed uh, yep. abortion. Even that fucking movie we did uh, with Pizza Bear, Aaron, had a whole scene about that <laughs> <Yeah>. prophecy. <laughs> Black mm -hmm. Christmas has a scene about it. Horror gets away with it a little yeah. bit. They're able to push things. Yeah. And not just that, but this movie specifically, the fact that Chud. Fucking Chud. Yeah, as a noun <laughs> has become a political phrase like that is specifically a word that has a political context now in the year of our lord 2022 you know in this weird fucking era that we find ourselves in yeah. the fact that that word specifically has a context now is interesting and the other thing that i think sets this movie apart i mean the premise is goofy the premise is goofy i don't think it has enough money monster shit in it honestly yeah i agree with you like I, I do think it needed more actual horror on screen mm. that's my only critique of it what i think really really sets this movie apart is the cast of this movie i can't stress is really fucking good so like this is kim greased and christopher curry who is one of the most that guy actors that you've seen in things before and this <laughs> is daniel stern and john hurt who most people are just gonna be like oh it's the dad and one of the wet bandits Not from yet. Home Alone. But like, this is Kim Greased, don't think throw mama from the train era. Think Manhunter, think Brazil, think Miami Vice. And, you know, Daniel Stern and John Hurd don't think Home Alone think Breaking Away and Cutter's Way and Chilly Scenes of Winter and like their actual serious stuff. Daniel Stern in this movie is so fucking good and you would not necessarily expect that. But that's what really, really pushes this movie to the next level because it takes people who can really sell you on their performances despite the fact that there is a goofy monster with a long neck and a glowing eyeballs coming out of the bathroom. But I, it's <laughs> wild, yeah. I mean, and we, we haven't touched on because I'm 
way the, the reveal is of the monsters is that there's a bunch of toxic contamination that's just been stored and forgotten about. Yeah. So same thing there. There's environmental angles to this yeah. movie as well. I mean, there's there's all kinds of shit that's going on in this movie. Yeah, they do a trope I really appreciate where in the movie somehow like they bring in the actual title of the movie or the thing into dialogue. <laughs> in this movie, they call it Contamination Hazard Urban Disposal, Chud. And there's a whole scene where like, you know, there's a cover up and like the mayor is involved and the police commissioner is involved. And like, of course, it's like shoulda, woulda, coulda, like uh-huh. and they waited too long. And now Obviously, a bunch yep. of innocent people are dying. So it's just wild that a fucking Chud with these weird cannibalistic Morlock monsters or <laughs> mole people monsters. Yeah, there's a ton going on under the surface. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it has all this commentary with like the nuclear regulatory commissions involved in it. And then like the way we treat homeless people and how like the police don't really care throughout a lot of this movie, except for one detective who's trying to do his job. And really, the only reason why he gets involved is because it's revealed. Well, you know what? I don't want to reveal that because Katie, I know you haven't seen it either. Case people, I haven't seen it. I was like, but like the detective has a certain reason why he's even involved in this to begin with. Uh. But otherwise, they'd been kind of ignoring these disappearances that were happening on this block. And then, yeah, it just kind of ends. And there's not really a resolution in the sense that you think there would be. And there's just they need a little bit more monster reveal in the movie. Okay. They didn't have it. They pulled a Jaws with it. A little bit. Yeah. almost never see the monster. Yeah. And this this was definitely from the standpoint of we only have so much budget for sure. Yeah. But it's a cold classic for a reason. And okay. it, it was a fun watch. It's not scary. I mean, there are a couple jump scares, but they're telegraphed from a million miles away. Yeah. And the monsters aren't really that scary like when they jump scare. It, especially, Katie, with you being like a child of the 80s. Yep. And being a fan of 80s horror this is worth a watch okay that's good to know but it's more serious than you think it is and it is fun to watch daniel stern be like (laughs) serious daniel stern yeah but that's the thing i've realized with horror films you'd be surprised at how serious they do get leading into anna and the apocalypse yeah yeah don't expect things you're watching it and you're just like wait i'm crying what just happened here when did this get serious <laughs> that is a great segue let's go ahead and finally like get into the movie we're tackling today aaron do you want to you want to set it up sure so we are discussing from 2017 a scottish zombie horror musical christmas extravaganza called anna <laughs> and the apocalypse which is delightful It premiered at festivals in 2017, I believe specifically Fantastic Fest. It played theatrically the next year. Um, It is now available streaming. I don't believe it has a physical release in the U.S., although Second Sight did just put out a really nice Blu-ray of it overseas. Here's a little bit of what you're going to get into. Further updates, reports of mass infection with the as-yet-unidentified virus continue to come in from across the world. Hey, guys. Have a good morning. Sure, it'll be the same as always. Can you hear me? I'm a first aider. New Zombies. Not zombies. Oh, right, because that's perfectly normal. I'm ready. My hey, zombies, right? Oh, it's crazy. I know. 
We are not opening the doors. My little girl's out there. I'm getting my dad, all right? How are we going to get past all the zombies? I just had the best idea ever. This is the stupidest idea ever. All right, losers. What do I do? Make the movie! Destroy the brain! We go through here, we might make it to the school before sundown. Plus, it'll be fun. Yeah, certain death is so much fun. This isn't fun anymore. Hashtag evac selfie. Well, we all deserve to go extinct. But yeah, this movie is a fucking blast. I think anybody that grew up with the high school musical movies would appreciate it. Anybody like Katie, like myself, that grew up doing theater stuff Mm -hmm. would certainly have an appreciation for this movie as well. Just a lot of the energy and spirit that goes into it. I appreciate the fact that, is this movie perfect? No. It feels very indie. It feels very like we are all putting in A plus level effort. And that's what I appreciate the most about it is like you can tell people were really passionate about making this movie and everybody put in everything that they had. And it shows like the enthusiasm is just kind of blasting off the screen. Mm -hmm. It's just charming. That's what I appreciate about it the most is it has a lot to say, but it doesn't feel preachy about it in any Mm -hmm. way, shape or form. And there's a lot to talk about. I mean, it very much gets into like the idea of what it's like to lose peers at that age in your life and how weird that feels, you know, like that, oh, this person that I've seen every day is now gone, Mm -hmm. not knowing like what your path in life is necessarily in hell. I'm in my mid-30s and uh, just completely upturned my life and moved to the other side of the country and don't have a job set up. So I have no idea what I'm about to do. So it's not like that changes necessarily, but at that (laughs) age, you feel like, oh God, I have to have all this shit figured out. You know, Mm -hmm. like this is the rest of my life. I got to know what I'm doing. That and as we've all experienced in COVID, the world you know falling apart around you and just having to come to grips with the fact that things are fundamentally different now and there's no turning back. And being a teenager during that moment where you're just about to finally get to go out into the world and experience things on your own and finally be free from school and your parents and blah, 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 and now... nothing's the same. Everything's turned over. So, I mean, this movie has a lot going on, but it also has really goofy, poppy Disney (laughs) tracks in it. A lot of good Christmas imagery in it, too. Oh, my God, yes. This movie visually looks great. I mean, I think for, like, the budget that they had and the resources that they had, this movie's visually really good looking. The lighting in this is really good. The camera work is really good. The little pops that they put throughout it, because you don't get right off the bat zombies throughout the very beginning it's like a little something on the radio but switch it let's put Christmas music back on and then there's running into somebody and they turn and you start to see blood but then it goes away doors shut there's blood like you're still not it's like they just keep giving you these little hints and you're waiting because then they're breaking out into song and you're like 
when's it gonna happen? Like, when's yeah. it gonna happen? Yeah. The kid's coughing and one like clawing at the yes. wall as he's going she's by the like nurse's office. Twitching. Like that that moment it's was just pretty these funny. Little things that <laughs> they sneak in there that you're like, oh, I'm seeing it starting and I can't wait. Anybody I've told about this movie, I said if if Shaun of the Dead and High School Musical had a baby, yep. it would be Anna and the Apocalypse. Yep. It's the British humor. American zombie films and like British zombie films, in my opinion, are very different. Shaun of the Dead is one of my favorite films ever because of what they do with it. They poke fun at the types of zombies because America was like, okay, well, we have zombies, but now let's make them crazy and go fast and do these things and all this crazy shit. And it's like, no, they're zombies. They're supposed to go slow and be stupid. So the whole idea of you can actually get away from them. (laughs) Like... You have time to figure out what do we want to throw at them? What weapon do we want to use? And I feel like with Anne and the Apocalypse, doing that and then throw songs into it. Because everybody knows how musicals are. Like they break into song and you're like, what the hell just happened? So when they're breaking into song while fighting zombies. Yeah. And like, I like how the other characters in the background are self-aware. They're like, oh, they're in the middle of singing. We're not going to participate. Yeah. But uh, I'm glad you guys both brought up High School Musical because like a lot of the stuff I was seeing was Shot of Dead meets La La Land. I'm like, it doesn't, it feels way more like High School no, Musical yeah. than not, La La Land. Not La La Land at all. This is about high schoolers in yeah. high school at a high school. This is High School Musical. <laughs> and the songs. Yeah, the first like three or four songs are just yeah. straight up just High School Musical, yep. like without yeah. any zombies. I mean, like that cafeteria song, they're in the cafeteria and then they break into song and everybody in the cafeteria yep. is dancing and doing their stuff on the tables. So perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. So, Katie, you mentioned earlier that you have a background doing theater stuff. Mm-hmm. Did you ever do any musicals? That is how I started acting. Okay. Yeah. So I wow, started okay. on stage doing all musicals. So in fifth grade, I did Oliver Twist and I was Oliver. So that was kind of what pointed me like acting wise. It was like, oh, I love this. I, I'm being yeah. on stage and learning choreography and singing. And I had so much fun. And so it just kind of exploded from there. So I went to Northern Illinois. I realized while I was there, it was really hard to do anything theater wise, unless you were a theater major. Sure. My deal with my parents at the time was if they're co-signing my student loans, basically my major had to be my backup plan. Yeah. I could do theater. I could take classes, but that couldn't be my major. I couldn't get in any shows because you had to be a theater major. So I ended up getting a job, an internship through Disney, left school. And then when it was time to go and finish and get my degree, I went out to New York and I went to Marist College because I was able to do more theater stuff there. I was closer to New York. So in my mind, I was going to stay the theater route. I was like, I'm going to go to school in New York. I'm going to audition. Like, I'm going to stay with theater, theater, theater. One summer, the stuff I was going to do in New York fell through, had to go back home to Chicago, and I auditioned for a feature film and got it. And that's where I, like, all of a sudden veered. So, like, I was going the theater, the musical, like, I was going hardcore that route. And then one summer, things just completely veered for me. (laughs) Yeah. So, likewise, I mean, I fell, and this was half of my life ago, granted, Mm -hmm. but I, like, fell completely ass backwards into doing theater. I mean, I was doing theater from a tech standpoint. Okay. And then completely fell backwards into like, oops, I'm playing Baljean apparently in Les Mis. <laughs> that is quite a fall. That yeah. is quite a fall. For as long as I've <laughs> known you, I never knew you'd 
What? Really? Yeah. Is there footage? Yes. Is oh, there yeah. recording? Oh, absolutely, yes. I think you need to plop in the recording yeah, right you here. You need to do that, man. <laughs> it's less that I am embarrassed by it because I'm not. It's more just, it's just not what I do. It's not what I ever intended to do. You but, rarely sing, but the couple times yeah. I've heard you sing, you have a voice for it. So I'm like, hey. I'm interested yeah. now. Like, yeah. And I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I was also the beast in Beauty and the Beast. I was Babette. Hey. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did uh, Susical my senior year, and I was whatever the elephant was, Horton, I guess Horton. Horton, here's a who. Horton, yeah. Horton, yeah. Here's a who. Yeah. So, like, I fell completely ass backwards into oh, it. Wow. It was more just like we didn't really have a whole lot of dudes who were, like, down with singing, I guess, at our school. I think that's most schools. I feel like it's changed, but it seems like yeah. age-wise we're not too far off from each other. But, yeah, I mean, when I was in school, the fact that the quarterback of the football team, my senior year wanted to be part of the musical was such a huge Earth shattering yeah. yeah because it was like we really didn't have many guys and now i i'm seeing clips of my high school and what their musicals are now and the dancing and the amount of people and i'm like this is so different from when yeah. i was there yeah it's popular now yeah. yeah it's not looked down upon guys dancing and doing all this stuff you don't just have to be in chorus to be a part of it yeah and i love seeing that because yeah yeah, it was hard when you have like 30 girls up there and three guys. Yeah. It's a little tough. A little tough. Yeah. And I was <laughs> lucky because I was at a point where our high school was getting a lot of arts money. And nice. so we did our productions at the actual huge historic theater downtown and not at our high school auditorium. And we oh, had wow. massive costumes and sets and everything. So I was lucky to be in it when I was. I'm very thankful for the experience because it taught me a lot about acting. And I definitely learned a lot during that time. And it kind of prepped me in a lot of ways for the film stuff that I would get into later but this is one of those things where for me being involved in that stuff I am not the biggest fan of musicals in general but this is one that I appreciate the hell out of this movie from the standpoint that like I said earlier everybody is given this movie a plus effort. Mm -hmm. These are not people who have this background necessarily. Right. Matter of fact, I think Ella Hunt, who plays Anna, is really the only person with any kind of music theater background, background yeah. at all. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing because I, I was reading that most of the cast at least went and ADR'd and sang the soundtrack and put yes. in the performances for the movie, even if they had no musical theater background. Correct. Yeah. Most, so most people did not have that background. And the writers and the directors didn't necessarily have that background either. Um, matter of fact, the guys who wrote the songs, this was the first thing like this that they had done. Um, one wow. of the guys was from a music competition kind of show in the UK, and he ranked really high his year and then kind of went on to do some actual music stuff. And the other guy just had a couple of bands and toured and opened for a lot of well-known acts like Wilco and Beth Orton and Ray LaMontagne and people like that that came to the UK, but they both wrote the songs, and this was kind of the first time they had done something like this. And weirdly enough, now they're literally writing songs for the Animaniacs revival and they just won a daytime Emmy for it, you know? So it's interesting to kind of see the stepping stones for all these people as they've gone through. It's also really cool because I remember the biggest thing about this movie when I watched it, I remember being shocked at how much I liked the songs. Yeah. They are actually really good songs. Like when you hear a zombie musical, I'm expecting the songs to be 
fairly comical. And I remember listening and A, being really impressed with the singing, but B, I was just listening to the lyrics going, I feel something. This yeah. is better than High School Musical. Like High School Musical was a little bit more cutesy with the singing, whereas this one, some of the songs, I'm like, oh, that hits. Okay. Other than the like mustache twirling, haha, I'm evil song by the principal. Which was one of my favorite. might be one of my favorites. <laughs> like, it reminds me of Rocky Horror. Yes. Like, did yeah. anybody else get that vibe? When he starts singing, I was like, all of a sudden we've just switched into Rocky <laughs> Horror. And yes. I love it. He leaned in a thousand percent and like knew exactly what he was doing. And I loved it too. Yeah. Well, I love that it's a zombie movie and the zombies aren't really the villains. Yeah. He is. Yeah. yeah. And that seems to be true of most zombie movies is mm-hmm. it's always some humanity, human element that yeah. is actually the worst thing going on. But yeah, besides his one song that's really mustache twirly, like, haha, I'm evil and it's over the top. <laughs> the rest of the songs like you said, are very grounded. And the rest of the songs are like, this is what the themes of the movie are actually Mm -hmm. kind of digging into. And this is where the movie's going to be kind of serious. And the rest of the songs aren't really jokey. They're either very jubilant and heartfelt Mm -hmm. in a very unironic kind of way. You know, the movie is not trying to be winking and haha when it's doing those kinds of songs. Or they are these songs about, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as I hate the whole like, uh, the kids and their cell phones kind of, you know, mentality. The human voice song. But that song is still so So good and a song that hits differently Mm -hmm. post-COVID, right? Because we've all like fully experienced that now, but the whole like feeling isolated from other people and only interacting through technology, which, you know, is what we're doing right now, you know? (laughs) But at the same time, what happens if that all goes away? Correct. Yeah. You lose your connection to people. Yeah. By far, my favorite song in that whole thing is I Need a Human Voice, which is that one all with the technology technology and stuff like it hits yeah. Yeah. the moment they start singing it it just hits something in you and you're like yeah yeah this is the world we live in it's so yep. different i need a human voice Just a human voice. That was very unexpected and back up a little bit to to kind of table set a little bit because you guys have theater backgrounds Mm -hmm. and I don't. However, I did two musicals in high school. So you do have a background in this to a degree. You just didn't. Uh, I was chorus. I wasn't. That is still you were on stage. You had to learn songs. You had to learn choreography. (laughs) <laughs> and and the, I'm going to tie this back to like a lot of the themes of this movie, right? So I was in high school and I, I grew up in New Orleans. Okay. We brought this up on our podcast a million times. Aaron, you were also in the Southeast and Mississippi. We both dealt with Hurricane Katrina. When Hurricane Katrina hit, my high school life as I knew it was over. At the moment, it seemed forever, but it was still a full semester. Like I had a full semester where I went to a different high school in a different city 
thankfully there were other New Orleans kids and a couple of them I knew and were from my high school. So it wasn't a total stranger in a new pond, but like it was still like I'm out of my element. I'm in mm. Texas and I'm not in Louisiana. And like half my friends are not moving back home when the city reopens. Even before technology, smartphones, everything, like a lot of that connection I lost instantly with some yeah. of my closest friends. And when we all moved back in New Orleans when the city reopened, when my high school reopened, I started becoming closer with friends that I was only school friends with, but never hung out outside school. And I, now we started hanging out with each other because we all had kind of lost our friend groups because mm. they had either moved away or whatever and didn't come back to New Orleans. And I said, you know what? Fuck it. I want to like put myself in a position that I've never done. And I decided to go to drama club and I missed like the actual play because they did a play the first yep. semester. Usually it's play, and then the musical, play. Play, musical. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. And I came on for the musical and I was just like, well, I'll try it. <laughs> and ironically enough, the musical we did was zombie prom, which is about like a high school kid. <laughs> what? Yeah. He's like the prom king. He di- It's like a 1950s happy days setup. Oh he's God. the prom king. Amazing. Never heard of this. Never heard of it, but sounds amazing. <laughs> he takes a bet to like go down on his motorcycle, go to like devil's curve or whatever, winds up dying. But then his body like falls into chemicals and he comes back as a zombie and he is like the prom king zombie zombie prom yeah ironically enough that was the musical i did amazing but that was my only experience with musicals but like this movie i went in just being like okay it's gonna be along the lines and i should know better because musicals always do this so the few musicals i like are the ones that are more comedic more Mm self-aware my all-time favorite musical is book of mormon yes (laughs) and even book of mormon goes hard especially in the second act and it has a heartfelt message and like it's a lot more emotional than you expect it to be yeah and i always underestimate music musicals that I do wind up liking and watching because they always tug at you. And I, I would say that probably the only two musicals like straight up musicals I really enjoy are Book of Mormon and Les Mis because Les Mis is just so amazing that like I, I can't deny it. Which you say that not the best version of Les Mis necessarily, but Ella Hunt, her first screen role is in the 2012 version of Les Mis. Yeah. They could have used some different casting yeah. for other people in that movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they could have. I'm just saying, if you're going to make a musical, get yeah. people who can sing. <laughs> Russell Crowe. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't either. That was you. (laughs) But like the thing that I wasn't expecting with this movie musical, Mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier, Katie, I wasn't expecting to cry by the end. Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting all these commentary on growing up and coming of age and relationships with your friends and family. The thing that really hit home for me, because this movie brought up all those memories of when I did dabble in drama club, it held up a mirror to me and almost in an uncomfortable way because all three of the male characters, her best friend, Mm -hmm. new hot guy, I forget his name name in the movie uh, Nick Nick yeah. yeah Nick who also probably needs therapy but you know is not handling it well yep. and then like the tech guy who is in a committed relationship yep. I related to all three of them in different stages of my life yeah. I've been that best friend but wanted more but I didn't necessarily handle it as maturely as they do in this movie right. I've been like the fuck boy guy but maybe didn't handle it as maturely as I, I should have I was also the tech distant guy who was in a committed relationship but maybe not making it the priority I should have made it and like I paid for that later down the line and in retrospect now I understand that like I've learned from those mistakes I can see that but this movie was kind of uncomfortable to like relive those experiences that I wasn't expecting honestly the character I relate to most now is Stephanie I was gonna say Stephanie is the one I catches me the most out of all of them the way that actress portrays anxiety Mm -hmm. is amazing like I suffer from anxiety Mm -hmm. I see therapy I'm on medication for it 
And like the way her mannerisms, the way she approaches everything, even though her parents aren't necessarily giving her the respect she deserves, but she's still trying to show it. Yeah. She's still trying to prove herself, but it's not necessarily what she should be doing. Like I relate to all of that. Yeah. So it was a very like uncomfortable, but in a good way kind of watch for me. And it's also seeing how they all, when everything comes to blows, who's yeah. stepping up. Who yeah. is trying to figure out like who's hiding in the background and who is going, all right, this is what it is. Yeah. What are we going to do about it? Yeah. So it's really cool seeing each character and what they're willing to do, where they're willing to go and uh, follow their journey and how it's going to intertwine with each other. Yeah. I think they did such a good job because this is one thing with horror films that's always a little iffy. A lot of times you don't really get to know the characters because they're like, oh, we're going to kill them off or, oh, we're just going to give a little <laughs> bit. You know, they don't really yeah. give you a a lot a lot of horror movies can be very superficial because it's yeah. just about the monster or the gore and what i love about this one is i care about all of these characters so much like i'm so invested who's gonna survive in your head you're going like they can't kill that person off so we're gonna be okay you know and you're just like getting so invested so then when like people do start dying you're just like <gasps> I don't want to ruin it for people, but like one of the first big deaths, I just remember crying. Yeah. Just being like, no, like you yeah. can't. You're like, you not can't expecting do that. it. Yeah. I You're know. absolutely not expecting it. Ugh. Even though this movie is kind of a subversion of, of some of the tropes, it also still pays a lot of respect to the zombie so subgenre much. because yep. no one's safe. No one's and safe. And the thing yeah. I really appreciate is obviously the zombies in action, they're dangerous when they are a horde, but otherwise they are pretty slow moving and yep. all that. But I like that they never explain you like, why the army fell apart and like died it just happens it just yeah. happens off screen which that's one of the more comedic moments is oh, the <laughs> army's finally coming everything's gonna be okay wake up the next morning is the army here yeah yep. look out the window they're all zombies zombies <laughs> yeah and i love that so scene where they're all online and people are like hashtagging evac pics and it's this, like them taking oh selfies oh my god the evac the selfies yeah. i laughed so hard yeah, this is mm-hmm. what we That's live what in happened. now. Because with COVID, it was like COVID mass selfies, COVID selfies, shot, getting your vaccine yeah. selfies. Oh, it would absolutely a, a thousand percent happen that way. hundred percent. hundred percent. But I think one of my favorites is when they decide how they're going to get out of the bowling alley and work their way towards the school. Oh, man. Thinking of all <laughs> the zombie movies I've ever seen. And it's, you know, we're going to slather ourselves in blood so they don't know. Or we're going to do this so they don't know. Or we're going to grab all these weapons. What do they do? We're going to blow up pool. We got a blow up pool. Yeah. This will keep us safe. Flatable pool. This will do it. The movie cuts it so well because the character's just like, guys, I have the best idea of how to get out yeah. of here. And then they cut to them in the blow up pool. And like, I think it's Stephanie say like, this is the stupidest fucking idea we ever could have done. Yeah. <laughs> but all of them are going along with it anyway. But it also goes to show something else that I think with zombie movies, they don't, don't always show like, because a lot of zombie movies, it's like, oh, they can smell you or, or yeah. they can do this. They can do this. But with this one, it's literally like, if we make eye contact, that's when we're screwed. As long as we don't make yeah. eye contact <laughs> with the zombies, we're okay. Because they're going and the whole body bottom half is seen yep. and they're still yeah. scooching along <laughs> then they come and it's like they squat down they're talking to each other so they can be heard technically it's not until literally she opens up and it's like eye to eye with the zombie it's like ah crap now we're screwed i kind of <laughs> love that that's what they do <laughs> the scene later too where they are literally crawling on their hands and knees through the between zombies. and through this whole group of zombies and they're just not seeing them all right 
I love the fact that the movie doesn't bother to create rules for the zombies. And at the same time, it does the exact thing that we criticize tons of movies for, but it's okay here, which is the rules just seem to be whatever the plot needs to move on. And in this case, it's okay. It's like one of the weird examples where like, that's fine and it doesn't matter and the rules don't matter. There are no rules for the zombies. Just go with it because that's not what's important. That's not the focus of this story. So it's not that big of a deal. But I also think it being a musical helps in that fact because yes, that's when you know you're watching. Yeah. Yeah. When you know you're watching a musical, you automatically throw reality out. Yes. It's a musical. They're going to break into song and dance randomly. So this whole rules, reality, all that stuff is already thrown out because it's a musical. And I think throwing out the rules happens more with the musical aspect than the zombie aspect. With zombies, people want rules. But with a musical, yeah. we don't need rules. So then when you meld them, it's like, oh, now a zombie film that doesn't need rules. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, and the thing I appreciate is they fucking immediately address like that trope that drives me up a wall in zombie movies where they won't call them zombies. They call them zombies in this movie and that's what they are. Yeah. And yeah. I really appreciated that. But the friend, the fact that the friend is the one being like, she's in denial. They're zombies. It's yeah. so perfect. Yeah. He's just like, let's call it what it is. I do appreciate how Anna is the one initially who's like in denial after like beheading that guy. Literally, this snowman's sitting there with the head still like, nah. Nine, yeah. <laughs> but to give you an idea, like as well, Katie, we uh, we just came off of a summer of just doing zombie movies. Oh my god! <laughs> we did the first three George Romero zombie movies, and then we did Ooh. like three zombie movies to accompany them, like okay. each month. So after this, probably gonna take a break for a little while on zombie movies. But we bit. thought this was perfect because like one more hurrah for zombies. It's a musical. And what a fun one to end with. <laughs> yeah, we're having you, an actress who's a part of arguably next to The Walking Dead, a franchise, Resident Evil that is known for zombies even though seven (laughs) yeah i know seven villages are technically not zombies but like resident evil as a whole is known for zombies yeah it's just perfect and god we haven't even gotten to like the the comedic bits we could talk openly about spoilers but before we do that in case anyone wants to stop here and watch and then come back it's not so much the horror i mean it's bloody and gruesome so get ready for that horror newbies it's not so much the horror itself it's very much the emotional journey you're gonna go on because we just did dead end Aaron, and we complained about the tonal whiplash of that movie this movie goes through the gambit of every single emotion and does it masterfully and i think even though i don't jive with musicals i think that's something musicals are able to do Mm -hmm. that other media has struggles with is being able to go through the across the entire emotional spectrum i really was not expecting to like go from busting a gut laughing to like being punched in the gut straight up sad Mm -hmm. and like wistful and everything like the whole towards the end with the dad and anna like now that i'm a dad and i bring this up over and over and over again on our show but i can't recommend enough like now that I am part of that life, it's a punch in the fucking it, gut. It's different. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, like now let's open the floor to spoilers. We can talk yep. openly. The moments that I cried really was the one. It was the very end with the dad when mm-hmm. they say goodbye to each other. Like it was a punch in the gut too to to see what happens with John because like they had such a good best friend I cried. friendship so much yeah I, like, well, I first i yelled like first i like screamed at the tv the first time i saw this film 
Cause it's, it's what they always do is that moment of relief. They got yep. through it, that moment of relief and they're goofing off and then no. Oh. That's another, uh, like let's honor a zombie trope of like coming out of nowhere and yeah. kind of unceremoniously killing off an important character. And like that moment is when the movie really like Shit. reminds you like, yeah. this is a zombie apocalypse. Like, yeah, we're having fun, but like shit happens. Cause they go from like choosing their weapons and I'm sorry, but Anna's weapons, my favorite. The candy, the candy cane, cane yeah. The spiked <laughs> candy cane. I was like, yeah. that's the weapon I want. If I got to go through a zombie apocalypse, that's what I want. Yeah. But like they go from like that and then he sacrifices himself to like hell. Oh, God, that scene kills me. Katie, you could probably pull off a good Anna. Like if you dressed up like her for Halloween or something, you should Get totally do it. Or for Christmas. For Christmas. Yeah, with the blood. That would be fun. Avril Lavigne, circa 2000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wife's immediately takeaway was, oh, God, how do I figure out how to do my, like, boots and jeans and socks like that? <laughs> oh, 100%. I was obsessed with her whole look. I'm like, I-, I want that. I want that again. I did that back in the day. I want that to come back. <laughs> yeah. Man, so, like, let's talk about the comedy that's handling this movie. Cause, oh, my God. So there are two moments where I was busting a gun. Yes. Three moments. Let's say actually there three. There are quite a few. There are a few. The first one was the fucking fish wrap oh my god the penguin my favorite dish is fish mother flipper and i eat it for the hell of it a nice bit of halibut that's not the only fish they got mackerel i could take more than a snack full salmon with some jam and i could drink it by the temple had it so he's the trying my favorite dish is fish, mother flipper, and I eat it for the hell of it. Uh, a nice bit of halibut. Like, it's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad, it's good. And, and they they actually wrote it. like that. Uh, we were talking about the directors. They uh, wrote the music to this. Like yep. They actually did that fish rap, and it's Genius. them doing it. And it's like only 30 or 40 seconds. That got me the whole scene where, like, and it's the most memorable scene probably in the whole movie, when she wakes up and her best friend wakes up, and they sing, and they're, they have their headphones in, and the zombie apocalypse has happened. <laughs> But they're yes. not paying attention <laughs> and they're singing and dancing as people are getting like eviscerated in the background. My life around, I'm waking. Spent too long playing dead. I'm shaking. These blues out of my head. Not letting anybody bring me down. I'm ready for turning my life. Amazing. My favorite with that, though, it cracks me up seeing in the background everything happening. But then there's a moment where she kind of stops and she's singing and you have other like normal humans her age, like other high school kids who are fighting. And literally in the background, you see them going like this, yelling at her, trying to get her, trying to get her attention. <laughs> and she just doesn't turn around yeah. it's genius and like that felt like the most most Shaun of the dead kind of moment yeah. and it worked yeah. so well that's totally the like wake up hung over go to yes. the corner store come back and everything's just going to hell around you obliviously yes it's, yeah it's yeah great it's so perfect and then going back to like when they were hiding under like the pool when the zombie <laughs> sits on top of steph and then starts her. peeing and she goes is the zombie mm. pissing 
on my face. I, I was on, I was dying. I had to rewind that scene like twice. Oh I was God. like belly laughing. It's so tears perfect. in my and eyes. And they're like, "Well, like, there's plastic. It is warm yeah. plastic." <laughs> <laughs> so those were like the three like busting a gut laughing moments for me. So ridiculous! Like it was yeah. so funny. I also loved Lisa's song because of how yes dirty yeah. it was. <laughs> She starts singing it and you're kind of feeling like, oh, it's going to be like a Santa baby type song. And then yeah. it keeps going and you're like, how did she get away with singing this song? <laughs> Especially with the psycho headmaster. That's what I wonder because they rehearse everything. So I was like, what was she singing that he thought yeah. she was going to sing? And then she busted out this song. That was amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And Paul Kay's performance as Arthur Savage, especially in that moment. So it reminds amazing. me of Charlie Day off screen during the musical he writes. I will smack it's your face happen. off of your face. Okay. Snapping the pencil. He was yeah. such an extreme character that it just worked. He was so monotone, but it was like that villain. Yeah. The railroad tracks villain. Like you just knew it from the get go. And he stuck with it and he doubled down on it. He made a choice and that choice was perfect. Everybody else was one thing. And he was like, nope, I'm staying right here. I'm staying in this lane. You're all going to hate me. I'm yeah. over the top, but I'm doing it. Here we go. And it worked so well. The funniest part to me about Lisa's song is not just all the like, Santa come down my chimney shoot or whatever. <laughs> it was all the boys that come in with the crop tops and the short shorts oh, and their candy so canes. Fierce. And the same thing. It was just like, did anybody actually approve this number? Yeah. And I love that the yeah. director specifically was like, cool. Have you seen Sleepaway Camp? No problem, Gino. This guy blows dead dogs. Just lay it in there. Eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat shit and live, Bill. Do you know all the like crop tops and short shorts in that because it's like an That's 80s camp doing. movie? Yep. That's what we're doing. A thousand percent. It was so perfect. And I saw this movie a couple of years ago when it came out, but I haven't mm -hmm. seen it since until we rewatched it. The other one that I kind of spit take that was Anna talking to Nick in the hallway and she said, you are such a child. You are such a child. Sexy child? Wait. No. Goodbye, Nick. Hey, come on, come on, don't be like... Wait, no. Yeah. <laughs> Just having that moment of like, wait, back up. <laughs> it's such a perfect recognition because it, it is that whole thing of high school. Yeah. Somebody trying to come with a comeback, so they just shoot it at you, and then it's, ooh, ooh, wait, wait uh. nope, that's not what I meant. Let me back up, let me back up. And the timing of it worked perfectly because immediately my wife was like, uh, what? <laughs> and then he's like, wait, no. <laughs> and that's just it. They give you that Nick character, so you want to hate him. Yeah. And then as you follow through the film, all of a sudden you see this, you see that. Oh, oh, you realize he had to do that to his father. He's doing it. So it's like every character they give you, there is growth. Yeah. There really aren't yeah. any throwaway characters in this. Yeah. And even Savage is really the only one who doesn't necessarily like have a full 
arc right. per se. Yeah. But that's not the function of his character either. But mm-hmm. you know, to your point, I like the fact that all these characters kind of had their own little mini arcs. Yeah. And like real life, you know, moving from high school into real life or into yeah. college or college into real life and Vron, the people that you end up with aren't always the people that you expect to end up yeah. with. And the people that end up being your closest friends and that you stick with the longest are not necessarily the people that you expect to. And you mm. also learn to like move beyond that life. You know, that's kind of Anna's whole thing throughout this entire movie is all I want to do is just go to Australia. Go somewhere else. You know, like I I know all this other bullshit that I have to do that is coming. I want to do this one thing first. You know, ultimately, like, kind of where it ends up, I mean, by the end, I mean, sure, how are you going to get to Australia? She's got that ticket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's open. Well, I was going to say the thing I really appreciate about her character, and, like, it makes it her such a good protagonist, because she is flawed, which mm-hmm. the best protagonists are, but, like, she has that drive, like, her best friend says this, her dad says this. Yeah. If she has her mind set on something, it's going to happen, and so you, yeah. you end the movie, like, yeah, how the fuck is they're going to go anywhere yeah. that's not here you know in the back of your mind she's gonna find a way somehow they'll figure something out yeah. to figure something out and i think that was kind of the idea behind like i'm not i'm gonna take a year off not go to university mm-hmm. and travel the world first and then yeah. reevaluate from there and i i knew people like that mm-hmm. when we graduated high school and college i'm gonna spend a year to go travel the world and then i'll figure it out and like they had their mindset on you yeah. and said it and they did it and i tell a lot of people that because for me i went straight from high school to college but then after two years of school I got internships and left school to do those internships and then went and finished and I now tell people like school is very important getting a degree is important but not necessarily like high school college yeah I wish I would have taken time in between high school and college because I started and I went to school and spent all this money and had no clue what I wanted to do yeah. So I'm spending all this money kind of like, uh, 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 like, I don't know. And flip side to that, I did that and I went into something I didn't want to go into. Yeah. And I regretted it and I'm, I'm no longer in that career. And that's just it. It's like you spend all this money because you're so young and you're like, sure, like what I wanted to do back then, very different from a couple years after and even to now. And so I always tell people like, if you definitely know, go for it. If it's up in the air, it's kind of smart to go maybe travel, like experience the world and life and get a better idea of what you want. So that way, if you're going to be forking over all this money, it's towards something you actually want to do. And it's not going, well, I'll take these classes. Nope, that didn't work. Let me take these classes. Nope, that didn't work. (laughs) Like, Yeah. ah! Yeah. As much as I have mixed feelings about how internships and things like that Mm -hmm. are handled in America. (laughs) Exactly, right? Like, I kind of agree with you in that sense, though, that experience Mm -hmm. is ultimately, at the end of the day, more important than like, oh, this piece of paper that I have, you know? If you have a CV going into college, you Mm -hmm. know, or like by the time that you graduate and say like, I have experience on paper that's there, not just this piece of paper that says I know what I'm doing, you know, like that makes a difference, you Mm -hmm. know, even if you are not necessarily, you know, it's not like you're going to go in expecting like, this is going to be my big break and I won't have to finish or whatever. It's more just that experience in a lot of 
ways is just as important. So if you have those opportunities, take them, even yeah. if it means putting your education off for a semester or a year or so, yeah. like the experience is worthwhile. And who knows, a zombie apocalypse may happen and you won't get the chance. And then you don't even get the chance. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's just, you also see all these characters because I always took this as this was similar to like a boarding school. So you, you can tell by the accents, there's a lot of different people who go to this school. They're not just all from Scotland. Like I'm hearing, you have the American, I'm hearing some almost Irish accents. Some sound a little more British Then you have Scottish. So there's definitely like a mix of people going to this school, but you can also tell they just aren't worldly yet. That's one of the things with the travel, with holding off on university and maybe going to travel or going to see other places and see other things. It opens you up where like you're able to then communicate with people better, leading you into university or a job or an internship or whatever. There's so much more growth that happens where it's like you're comfortable. Like, yeah, I can hop on a plane and do that. Oh, you want me to do something? I can do that. Oh, I can actually hold a conversation with an adult, with a person. So I just feel like in that aspect, I always understood Anna when she was like, I want to take this time off, you know, like I want to do things instead of going on the route I'm supposed to. So I think that's another reason why I always love this movie that you hear that dad's reaction and he freaks out, but you're like, oh, yeah. I totally understand why she wants to do it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and now I that I'm it. older, I'm like, go for yeah. it, Anna, go for it. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it'll be interesting too to see I'd say about like what half our friend group Aaron has kids now but we all have grown up with like this idea mm-hmm. and like we have this media that we like and I think our ideas now on all this high school and the college are very different than what our parents were yeah. I'm very curious to see if we would allow like the Annas of the future to like do that I hope I will I hope I'll do that for my daughter when she's settled but at the same time too it's I get why the dad's doing this because yeah. it is coming from a place of love but he's not accepting that his daughter has grown up and I get that now, but yeah. like at the same time, it's yeah. also like I just want to be like, let her do what she wants. But like, yeah. you know, it's but you're still a parent. It's multifaceted. Like, yeah. I just turned yeah. 40 this year. My parents still worry about me. You're <laughs> always gonna worry about your kids. They're your babies. They're your yeah. kids. No matter how yeah. old they are, no matter what they do in life, you're always gonna worry about them. And that's what being a yeah. parent is. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's also trusting that you've raised them right, trusting that what yeah. you've instilled in them, they're holding on to and they are now making decisions because of what they've learned from you and yeah. wanting to try and grow and be an individual. You could tell he w- he's a good dad to Anna. Yeah. It's especially heartbreaking what happens at the end because of all that. It's the worst. It is kind of also the way to be like, no, the world is now yours. Yeah. I know you'll be okay. Yeah. The other element of that too that we find out through the course of the movie is that Anna's mother is not in the picture. Yeah. And I don't remember if they say what happens explicitly. I believe they say she passed away. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. That's what I seem to remember. I don't remember anybody like explicitly stating that, but that's what I remember them alluding to. Mm-hmm. But she's not in the picture. Right. And so it makes her leaving that much tougher for her dad. Father, you know, yeah. now there's nobody for him to live his life with there anymore. Mm-hmm. So he's extra, extra not willing to let go of her. You know, it's an interesting switch because in the beginning of the film, it's that. And by the end, when he's telling her to go, she doesn't want to let him go. Yeah. So they literally switch roles at the end of the movie where she's just like, no, 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 like coming. He's like, I can't, I have to let you go now. And you have to be okay with that. And it's a beautiful scene. It's heartbreaking. um, But it's such a beautiful scene because you're seeing the two of them switching 
in a way where she now doesn't want to leave. She wanted so bad for so long to get away, get away, get away. And now when she, it's forced upon her, she's like, but I don't actually want to. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I wanted to come into this just laughing at a zombie musical. And nope. I wasn't expecting to fucking cry. By yeah. the, the moment he got too close <laughs> to the edge of the stage, I was like, no, get away, get away, get yeah. away. Like, yeah. I saw it like as they're you fighting. You knew what was coming. And yeah. he's getting too close to the edge of the stage. And I was so, no, they can't do this. They can't do this. They can't do this. And they did it. They 100% did it. Yeah. <laughs> so while we're all kind of feeling sad, I guess the other element that I want to mention at least, because it is very crucial to how this movie developed mm -hmm. and why it kind of has the impact that it really does at the end of the day. So as far as like background for this movie, it grew out of a short called Zombie Musical from 2011 that was written and directed by Ryan McHenry. The music was provided by Toby Mottershead. It won several awards. It was even nominated for a BAFTA. Oh, wow. And then there was a Scottish production group called Black Camel that wanted to actually develop it into a feature with McHenry directing and co-writing with Alan McDonald. Development on it was halted in 2013 because McHenry was then diagnosed with bone cancer. And then they resumed production in 2015 after he went into remission. And then the sad part is McHenry passes away in 2015. But the rest of the creative team was just absolutely committed to like seeing this thing through and finishing it in honor of their friend. Mm -hmm. That's why like the in memory of him Correct. is at the very yeah. end. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, they brought John McPhail in to direct it. By that point, again, Roddy Hart and Tommy Riley had already been working on the music, but it adds that whole extra emotional layer mm. when you then find out, oh, so not only is this movie dealing with all this other heavy stuff, the person who was really the heart and soul of this whole thing is no longer with them. And it yeah. took years and years and years of this guy pushing to get this whole thing out there. And then the rest of his people committed to actually seeing right. it through, which is where it's even more, you know, uplifting in one hand for sure. Cause what better way to like honor your friend who's no longer with you than to like see this thing through that he was trying to get done for years and years. Mm -hmm. A lot of that real life stuff you can tell seeped into the script over time and it seeped into the music and kind of, some of where the direction of the movie went, because originally it was supposed to be just way more zany and comedic. And I don't know that the movie would work as well if it was just goofy, because at yeah. the end of the day, like we keep saying, we already have the goofy zombie movie. It's Shaun of the Dead. But even Shaun of the Dead, I cried it. Like even Shaun of yeah. the Dead had oh, that yeah, 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 heart yeah. pop in where you're just not yeah. expecting it. There's some dark moments. And they switch it back over to being yeah. comical. Yeah. But... To me, I was shocked with this film because of the heart, because yeah. of, and I mean, at the very, like huge spoiler, at the very, very end, the last song and they're showing the friends who have now turned into zombies and you're seeing the glimpses of the zombies touching each other, holding hands. And then yeah. the zombie like- yeah, A little bit of humanity. The yeah. sweat hitting the sweater and it's like yeah. the sweater lights up. I just like, wanted, I started crying again. I was like, no. Which I, I knew they were going to return to that. A sweater bit if for you something because you like yeah. you made a point of it like when they were working at the bowling alley yep. earlier but it's just they gave these little hints 
of the heart in the movie. And then when you hear that aspect <laughs> of it, yeah. this makes sense. Like this was so much more than just another zombie movie. Yeah. So embarrassing moment for me, that last jump scare after like they blow the sign, like the Merry Christmas sign <laughs> yeah. or whatever. The Santa zombie like roars in your face at the, like when it passes by. I'm not proud. That one j- literally legit jump scare me. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yep. I did yep. love the fact it's set at Christmas makes so many more of the zombies amazing. Like, I think one of my favorite zombies you don't even really see. You just see like a flying elf at one point when they're going through <laughs> the Christmas trees. Yes. It looks like a flying elf zombie. Like you don't even really see, but you just see somebody get attacked of somebody yeah. dressed up as an elf. And I'm like, that's why I love this movie. Like it throws this shit in. <laughs> and this might just be because we just got off of like our George Romero summer. But like, I feel like that was a little bit of George Romero influence because a lot of his movies are always like here. Here's the cheerleader zombie. Yep. Here's the zombie in a suit. Here's the zombie yeah. in this costume for some reason. It's like, just yeah. all the different costumes. And when you see zombies beforehand type of thing, but when that snowman zombie <laughs> happens. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact it's so slow, they're able to talk about, okay, let's do that. You stay there. I'll do this. And then when they pop the head off the way the blood squirts, that's when you're just like, oh, this is going to be so comical. And then they're just yeah. sitting there covered <laughs> in blood and they never wipe it away. It drives me insane. Nope. It drives me absolutely <laughs> insane because I'm like, if I had like this streak of blood on me, I'd at least try to like kind of wipe yeah. it off. Nope, nope. They are like, I'm covered in blood and I'm leaving it. This is just how it's going to be. That's always in zombie media, but it's also in horror movies in general. They always do that. They just leave it. Oh, look, Heather and I are playing The Quarry right now, which is one of the newer PS5 choose your own adventure horror games. Oh, one of the characters just gets covered in blood. <laughs> in his underwear and the entire rest of the game is just running around in his underwear covered in blood like they never bother like, trying to clean off or, like put more clothes on it's just that's the mode he's in not even gonna grab a robe nothing nope. nothing okay that's just Which, how they go ironically enough paul k who plays savage in this movie and he's been a ton of shit you probably know him from game of thrones yep. he was just in the next dark pictures video game the sequel to the quarry the devil and me the one about h.h holmes Murder oh. Castle. Yep, I saw He's that. in it doing mocap and voice of like one of the biggest characters in that game. That's awesome. Yeah. That is cool. In oh. no way is he the villain, I'm guessing. No. <laughs> I'm- yeah, speaking of Shaun of the Dead, he was actually in that uh, uncredited. So he has a character that he plays called Dennis Pennis. That's a great name. Which is kind of like Borat, I guess, or it's just like a character he plays where he shows up at things. If you look <laughs> at his IMDb, basically his first 30, 40 things are as this character, Dennis Pennis, but at an awards show or in another movie or in another TV show. Oh. That's one of those things where I think they put him in Shaun of the Dead as Somewhere. a fun gag, but he's uncredited. Apparently he's just one of the background zombies. I'll have to look at and see if I can find it. <laughs> so yeah, like funny enough, yeah, he's a zombie in Shaun of the Dead and then in Game of Thrones, spoilers, he gets killed by a zombie bear. So yeah, dude has a good so run with zombie stuff. You know, he knows his niche. He just stick yeah. with yeah. it. Just, just stick totally. with it. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I think uh, that's probably about it. Do we have any final thoughts on Anna and the Apocalypse before we move on to plugging stuff give it a chance anybody listening to this i know it sounds crazy but i always tell people 
Even if you don't like musicals, give it a chance. It's give it a chance. It's such a surprise. Like I was so surprised really at this movie. So give it a chance. Yeah. I think you'll laugh, you'll cry, everything, the whole gamut. Yeah, I, I guess we can't say if you're listening to like the 103rd episode of our show that you don't like horror, but give this a chance. <laughs> but same idea, you know, like yeah. if you don't think this is your cup of tea necessarily, still try it out because it's very surprising. Yeah, This is the first musical we've done, which granted there are actually are a few horror musicals mm-hmm. out there there's a couple on our list this is the first one we've done this was a great christmas movie this was a great zombie movie like i thought i was tired of zombies since we'd gone through the summer zombies i was wrong they switched it (laughs) yeah i know right if you like Shaun of the dead if you like disney if you like both those things like definitely watch us I don't like musicals. There's very few that I like. And this this was a blast. Because like the first couple songs that are very much like out of high school musical, mm-hmm. I do think there is a little bit of self-awareness. Yeah. I know we were talking about how like they do take it seriously, but I do think there is a little bit of self-awareness. And they do make it comical, like you said, Katie, because in the background you're seeing shit that's hinting at what's about to happen. Yeah. Again, the kids like in front of the nurse's office <laughs> coughing and scratching at the wall made me laugh so hard. But like, yeah, I, I had a blast with this and it was refreshing to come from a movie where a movie we did like in Dead End which handled tonal whiplash and emotion like jumping from emotions not the best way to a movie that ran the whole spectrum and everything was well earned everyone popped the music was great characters were memorable it was very refreshing I I agree everyone should give this a shot by the way Zombie Prom came out in 1993 originally debuted at Key West of all places sure and then there was an off-Broadway production in 1996 (laughs) musical written by uh, Dana P row book and lyrics are by john dempsey i could not fucking tell you why my high school like decided to do it that is random looking back on it i'm honestly thinking it might have been a joke that someone made (laughs) now that i'm thinking about it like this is some goofy ass bullshit kind of awesome though kind of awesome my high school definitely did not do fun we did very typical musical (laughs) no we normally did too like i don't know where this one fucking came from but yeah it was right after uh, Hurricane Katrina, so maybe we were all just in a weird head space. They were like, let's yeah. screw it. Let's see what we can yeah. get away with. YOLO. Like, I like yeah. it. I like it. Hell yeah. All right, cool. Well, um, Katie, yeah. what have you got coming up that you would like to go ahead and plug or that you can plug, I guess? I know. I'm like, <laughs> Is there anything specific that you want to throw out where people can check you out besides Resident Evil 7 and 8? Yeah. So I'm on Twitch. I now stream on Twitch. So uh, Katie O. Axe. So Katie O. and Axe. Not not the not the weapon, but. <laughs> A-C-T-S. Yes. Yeah. So I stream. So I've been playing the Resident Evil games. Just finishing up in the new year, I'm going to be playing Village. So please come join my Twitch streams. I also, every Sunday, I do story time with Mia. So I dress up as Mia and I read usually scary stories to lull my villagers to sleep (laughs) at night. So every Sunday night, I do that. As we talked about before, most of my stuff is under NDA. So I am working on some things. uh, Very excited about. Most likely won't be out until the end of next year (laughs) with the way things work. (laughs) Yeah. But I am really good social media wise. Um, My Instagram is usually the best way to keep track of what I'm doing when I'm doing things. Uh, I do a lot of live signings and streams and conventions. So anytime those things pop up, usually Instagram is the first place I blast it out on for anybody to follow and see what's happening. So I think I did see a clip where it was one of the story times with Mia where and I think you had a guest, one of the other actresses from one of the Resident Evil games. Y'all did a choose your own adventure. Yeah. 
yep. book. And that yep. looked pretty fucking funny from the clip I saw. Yeah, usually it's me, but sometimes I'll have guests on. And when I have guests, I try to do choose your own adventures because it's more fun to interact. And then also anybody who's on my Twitch, usually we can put it out to them of like, okay, what route should we take? So then they get to be a part of the story also. So I'm always looking for ideas of what stories. Right now I'm doing Christmassy type stories. So I just did Krampus last week which nice. was awesome yeah. Yeah. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas is going to be this week I uh, I like to switch it up but also I've done scary stories to tell in the dark are you too afraid of the dark I just like doing all of them I have some weird ass tales that I like reading to people <laughs> can I throw out an idea maybe uh, eventually down the line do a couple goosebumps that would be fun too yeah because yeah. I grew up yeah. reading R.L. Stein. like I was just older than Goosebumps so I grew up with the actual R.L. Stein books and then yeah. I like reverted to to read a couple of the goosebumps i was like okay these are fun did you do like the fear street which was like the cool teenagers version of goosebumps yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read a couple of the fear street too so i love yeah, I get those it. i love yeah. them uh i was pretty obsessed with those yeah and then once a month i always read village of shadows because i'm like it's part of the game you gotta have that one yeah. so i have that nice. actual book that i read to everybody so it's a good time it's a good time. Awesome. Hell yeah. All right, Derek, will you want to take us out? Sure. We are Watch Every Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by me, the coward, or the craven now, and Aaron, Movie Monster Boy. Catch us on our socials at Watch Every Dare on Twitter and Facebook and Hive. We did make a Hive just in case Twitter like kind of dies. We'll see. Twitter seems okay right now, but you never know. We are on you know, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Please continue to rate and review us, especially on Apple Podcasts. Also been ranking on Podchaser and Good Pods, so thank you there. And our Spotify wrap-up. You guys have been listening to us on Spotify a lot more than I thought you would. Thank you for all that support. Shout out to your little brother, Jesse Mansfield, for the bumps at the beginning and end of each episode. He is Party Gator on Bandcamp. He is also part of the band Opossums and Big Clown. Speaking of music, uh, we have our Spotify music playlist that is filled with spooky tunes that are either from movies or TV or influenced by horror in general. That is at the top of our Facebook and Twitter pages all the time. So check that out if you're looking for some kind of Halloween themed or horror themed music. Aaron, is there anything else? Oh, no. What? Sally's a zombie.